Okay, good evening everyone and welcome to the Lita City Council meeting of February the 21st, 2023. If you all rise and join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. Ready, begin. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, which is the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Okay, so we have roll call of the city council. <coughs> Councilmember Kiriako. Here. Councilmember Reyes Martin. Here. Councilmember Kasdan. Here. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Here. And Mayor Brody. Here. Thank you. Okay, report from closed session. Ms. Garibaldi. Thank you, Madam Mayor. The City Council convened in closed session at 4.02 p.m. this afternoon. There were no public comments. The Council um, this convened in closed session pursuant to the two items listed on the agenda under initiation of litigation. The Council only discussed one item and no reportable action was taken. Okay, thank you. Okay, at this time we'll have public forum. Anybody that wishes to speak to anything that's not on our agenda this evening? I do not have any speaker slips, but if any members of the Zoom webinar wish to speak, please use the raised hand function and I will call on you. I'm not seeing any hands raised at this time. Okay, thank you. Okay, amendments or adjustments to our agenda? City Manager Robert Nisbet. Ma Madam Mayor, we do have one. Um, uh, Mr. City Attorney will read in a small change to a consent calendar item. Okay. <clears throat> Madam Mayor, um, I can do that at the time of the, when the consent calendar is read. Okay, thank you. My apologies. That's okay. We'll do it then. That's okay. Okay, so no amendments. And so we now have, um, we're doing this a little bit differently. We have a city manager's uh, report. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Put you up at the top of the list. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Madam Mayor, members of council, members of the community, um, this is a little bit of a change to the agenda. If you're a regular viewer of these council meetings, uh, city manager updates are generally at the end of uh, our agenda. And sometimes we find when uh, the meetings go a little bit long, uh, we've lost some of our audience and uh, we all are getting a little tired. So we're trying something new. We're going to move city manager uh, reports up to this part on the agenda. Uh, the purpose of my reports uh, generally are just announcements. Uh, if there's an upcoming community meeting, a festival, something of interest, we make announcements. But it's also an opportunity for us to maybe very shortly um, do something a little more in depth, maybe a five minute presentation from staff, something like that. If we do have something that's a five minute presentation and we're concerned that there might, not concerned, but there might be a question from the council, we'll actually list the item as we did tonight. So there's a bullet point uh, under your item tonight. Um, and so we'll start with that. And then after that, I do have one announcement. Um, and you can see uh, from the city manager's office, Shannon is queued up. Uh, this is um, kind of one of those projects, those extra projects uh, that are assigned. And we're just starting it. And this came through one of your council members. I'm sure he'll speak to it in a second, council member Richards. Um, but he had joined an organization. And we're looking at maybe doing a case study on a project that we're doing on Hollister. So with that, I'll turn it over to Shannon. Thank you. Okay. 
Thank you, uh, Mr. Nisbet. Good evening, Mayor, Council Members. Um, so as our city manager was saying, Mayor Pro Tem Richards has joined the Smart Growth America's Champions Institute and uh, was able to share the benefits of Complete Streets tool with staff for the potential to have the Hollister Interim Striping Project to be a case study for this tool. Um, so to provide a little bit of context, uh, Complete Streets um, are, is this idea that integrates people and place in the planning, design, construction, operation, and maintenance of our transportation networks. And so this helps to ensure that streets are safe for people of all ages, um, abilities, including the most vulnerable users, uh, while balancing the needs of different modes of transportation. Uh, so this tool provides uh, data to measure the demonstrated benefits of, um, of complete streets. Uh, and for, for us, for that project, it's the restriping project. Um, so currently, we're using this tool to guide the process of gathering all of this data and inputting it uh, to produce these projected benefits across four impact categories. Um, it's health, safety, environment, and economy. <coughs> so all four of these uh, categories are also viewed through an equity lens. Um, and so that compares the data from our larger study area, which is the Santa Barbara, Santa Maria area, uh, with the Old Town neighborhood, um, which our project area, to, uh, to better understand who might benefit from a complete streets project. Um, so that's a little bit about the tool and what we're doing. We've also applied for technical assistance uh, with the Champions Institute um, to hopefully help us develop this case study. Um, and so hopefully we'll be able to share uh, progress on that soon. But that's all that I have, so I'll turn it back over to Mr. Nisbet or Mayor Pro Tem Richards to provide a little bit more. Thank you. Go ahead. I'll just say a few words. Um, so this is, as was mentioned, it was, it's a part of the Smart Growth America Champions Institute is what it's called. Uh, we met six times so far in the fall, and uh, right now we're in the project phase. And so at this point, my project, as was mentioned, is looking at the in interim uh, restriping program along Hollister Avenue and, and trying to come up with some quantifiable measures of how it, we, we expect that it will improve the quality of life. Uh, for our residents, for Old Town. Um, I, I'll just mention that the Institute is its a really interesting group of people. It's a, it includes mayors and city council members from cities throughout the country. Um, locally, we have Janelle Osborne is one of the participants and Mike Johnson, who's a city council member um, from Ventura. But then there are city council members and mayors from Pennsylvania, from Tennessee, from uh, all over, all, all over the country. And I've been learning a lot, and it's been great. I'll, I'll have a lot more to report later. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're in this kind of project phase, and after I get the support from our staff, uh, which uh, we have a meeting next week, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'll have more to report after this is all over, but that's what I have now. Thank you. Thank you for that. Do we have anybody that wishes to speak to this? If there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please use the raised hand function, and I will call on you. And I am not seeing any speakers at this time. Okay, thank you. Madam Mayor, I have one more announcement. As I said, sometimes it's just announcements, and I do have one tonight. Uh, the Goleta Valley Library, as most of you know, is celebrating their 50th year at the Fairview uh, location. 
And so we're hoping people come to help celebrate this milestone. Um, join us on Saturday, March 11th from 2 to 4 at the library. Um, let's see here. Um, there'll be fr uh, family-friendly activities. Also, just a great opportunity to thank our lo longtime library director, Allison Gray, who is retiring, and that's pretty close to her last day. So again, 50th anniversary of the library at the Fairview location. Our library director is retiring. And that event is March 11th uh, from 2 to 4. Great. Thank you. Okay, we have some um, proclamations. Okay. Item A1, a proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, recognizing Bicycle Bob's 39 years of business. And I've asked um, um, our council members to help me out with the proclamations this evening. I have a little raspy throat, so um, I'm not contagious, I promise. Um, <laughs> so um, I think, um, Mayor Pro Tem, uh, I think you're going to be up first. I usually bring this the the um, around. Yeah, there you go. All right, I have the. Ooh, that's, now that's it's on. on. Um, <laughs> I have the pleasure of presenting a proclamation here to Bob and Julia. Would you like to, if you'd like to come and stand up here, I'll put you on the spot while I'm reading this here. <laughs> So um, I have a proclamation here from the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, recognizing Bicycle Bob's 39 years in business. Whereas Bob and Julia Zaratzian, did I get that right? Okay. <laughs> Founded Bicycle Bob's in downtown Santa Barbara in March of 1983, which consisted then of 890 square feet. And whereas Bob's, Bicycle Bob's quickly outgrew their Santa Barbara store and expanded their business with the opening of the Goleta store in 1988, which eventually grew to 9,400 square feet. And whereas Bob's got people's attention by being exclusive, inclusive, I'm sorry, in serving the bicycle community, uh, they wanted to serve the entire bicycle community, in including youth, commuters, recreation riders, and enthusiasts. And whereas what really kept customers <laughs> coming back to Bicycle Bob's was their relationship to the community. Many customers felt more like friends rather than customers. And whereas through the years, Bicycle Bob's, a family-owned and operated business, generously supported local schools, nonprofits, and law enforcement through their donations of bicycles, helmets, and gift certificates. And whereas in time, when mom and pop operations were fading out, Bicycle Bob's understood the secret to their success was their pride in customer service and honesty. And whereas Bicycle Bob's has closed its doors after 39 years in business, now therefore it be resolved that on this 21st day of February, the City Council of the City of Goleta does hereby proclaim that a celebration of Bicycle Bob's 39 years in business, approved 21st day of February. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. 
can't wait to hear what you're up to now. <laughs> and you, you're welcome to say a few words. wrap up our almost 40 years of, of business and um, we've raised our family here in uh, on the border of Nolita, <laughs> Santa Barbara and Goleta and um, we love this community so let's hope we'll, you'll see us out riding instead of <laughs> the retail store. <laughs> um, this is odd with my back to you, I'm sorry. Um, certainly, oh, but then my back will be to you. <laughs> um, she said most everything I wanted to say, but um, um, 45 years or so ago, Julia brought me up from Orange County to Santa Barbara. She was going to UCSB. We raised our family here. Couldn't ask for uh, a better community to run a business as well as raise our family. Thank you. Thank you, Belita. I'd just like to say thank you for your generosity to this community, and you will be missed. Okay, next item, please. Item A2, Proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, proclaiming February 2023 as Black History Month in the City of Goleta. And I've asked Councilman Reyes-Martin to present. <laughs> Where should we? Where's Marcos? Where should we stand? Nice little dance. Nice little dance we can do. Right. Well, I'm so glad that this is my very first time doing this, um, and it's for this. Uh, so, a proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta proclaiming February 2023 as Black History Month in the City of Goleta. Whereas the 2023 Santa Barbara County theme is Black Resistance, the 2023 theme reflects changes and how people a part of the African diaspora in the United States and Santa Barbara County in particular have viewed themselves, the influence of social movements on racial ideologies and the aspirations of the black community. And whereas when Dr. Carter G. Woodson established Negro History Week in 1926, he realized the importance of providing a theme to focus the attention of the public. The intention has never been to dictate or limit the exploration of the black experience, but to bring the public's attention to important developments that merit emphasis. And whereas historically and today in the 21st century, black people have worked the political angle to seek their rightful space in the country. Where race is concerned, legislative or judicial action to deal with controversial issues has often come late. The historic executive orders 8802 and 9346 were responses to A. Philip Randolph and the all-black March on Washington's movement's threat 
to lead a 50,000-strong Black Workers March into Washington, D.C. And all three of the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and the Fair Housing Act were concessions to the civil rights and Black power movements. And whereas every advance, improvement in our quality of life, and access to the levers of power to determine our destiny has been achieved through struggle. John Lewis advised, do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. And whereas as societal and political forces escalate to limit access to and exercise of the ballot, eliminate the teaching of black history and work to push us back into the 1890s, we can only rely on our capacity to resist. The enactment of HR 40, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the Breathe Act and the closure of the racial wealth gap is not the end. They too will require us to mobilize our resources human and material, and fight for freedom, justice, and equality, self-determination, and or social transformation. And whereas black history is not just about the struggles black families have been through, but rather it is a time of rejoicing, celebrating the accomplishments, integrity, leadership, and determination, and showing true character. We honor the history and celebrate the progress that we have made. We are resilient and resolute in creating new opportunities for future generation. Now, therefore, be it resolved that on this 21st day of February 2023, the City Council of the City of Goleta does hereby proclaim February 2023 as Black History Month and calls on all residents to acknowledge and celebrate with appropriate ceremonies and activities. Approved this 21st day of February 2023. <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Mayor and Councilmember, and thank you, Liz. I, we gave you a pretty lengthy one. Um, I have to credit uh, one of our elders, Miss um, <coughs> Wendy Sins-Moten, for being the author of this, so I want to thank her, but also just want to let people know, I'm Jordan Kilbrew, I'm co-founder of Juneteenth Santa Barbara, and as Juneteenth, we want to thank you for your continued support for the event, um, but also during the month of February, we like to take a, st a step back and help promote all of the events that are going on during Black History Month. And so that's from all, all the organizations putting on great events. You can go to JuneteenthSB.org um, to find an event near you. Um, there are some online, and we just want to say thank you once again. Thank you so much. Okay. Next presentation. <coughs> Item A3, Proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, proclaiming February 26th through March 4th, 2023, 
as Peace Corps Week in the city of Goleta. Councilmember Kasdan. <laughs> So as a former Peace Corps volunteer myself, it's a great pleasure to be able to present this um, proclamation. And it is the proclamation of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, proclaiming February 26, 2023 through March 4, 2023, as Peace Corps Week in the City of Goleta. Whereas the Peace Corps was established by President John F. Kennedy by executive order, on March 1st, 1961, with the mission to promote world peace and friendship by fulfilling three goals. One, to help the people of interested countries in meeting their need for trained men and women. Two, to help promote a better understanding of Americans on the part of the people served. And three, to help promote a better understanding of other people on the part of Americans. And whereas the Peace Corps partners with communities abroad to develop sustainable solutions for the world's most pressing challenges and its volunteers carry out people-to-people, -people, public service, and citizen diplomacy at the grassroots level, addressing challenges in agriculture, community economic development, education environment, health, and youth development across the globe. And whereas Peace Corps volunteers return home as global citizens with unique cross-cultural perspectives, as well as leadership, language, teaching, and community development skills that provide value in today's global economy. And whereas today, six decades after its founding, with over 240,000 Americans having served as Peace Corps volunteers in 142 countries, and following its recovery and successful program country program re-entry after, after the withdrawal occasioned by COVID, the Peace Corps remains committed to its ideals and its volunteers leave a legacy in the lives and communities of the people they reach, educate, and inspire. And whereas Peace Corps Week is an annual event commemorating John Kennedy's, President John Kennedy's establishment of the Peace Corps on March 1st, 1961, celebrating all the ways that Peace Corps makes a difference at home and abroad while renewing the agency's commitment to service. Now, therefore, be it resolved that in recognition of International Peace Corps Week and the 62nd anniversary of the establishment of the Peace Corps, February 26th through March 4th, 2023, is hereby pro proclaimed Peace Corps Week in the city of Goleta, and in so doing, the City Council commends the Santa Barbara Peace Corps Association, the Los Angeles Regional Peace Corps Office, and the local returned Peace Corps volunteers <laughs> for their roles in advancing the Peace Corps' mission locally in Santa Barbara. Approved this day, the 21st day of February 2023. I 
What a beautiful proclamation. Thank you. <clears throat> um, I'm Naomi Kovacs, and I'm a board member, along with Councilmember Kasdan, of the Santa Barbara Peace Corps Association. And I served in Cameroon. Mr. Kasdan served in Ecuador. Um, we greatly appreciate this recognition of the enduring international relevance and value of the Peace Corps since its beginning 62 years ago, including the value that returned Peace Corps volunteers who have finished their service bring to their communities back in the United States or wherever they live after serving in the Peace Corps. Peace Corps Week is an annual celebration honoring the important ways the Peace Corps fosters connections and contributes to meaningful change, both in the United States and around the world. Meanwhile, Peace Corps associations, such as ours, actively work year-round to locally promote a better understanding of different cultures around the world, to serve as a valuable resource to prospective, current, former, and future Peace Corps volunteers, to promote the ideals of the Peace Corps, to engage in community service and other relevant activities, and to foster a local network of community of returned Peace Corps volunteers living on the Central Coast. We're lucky to have a large number of returned Peace Corps volunteers in our midst in the Central Coast. UCSB has historically been one of the larger recruiting universities across the nation. And in fact, our email list currently is just a few people under 400. I'm not sure if there are any other Return Peace Corps volunteers in the audience. We had hoped a few would show up, but the few who said they were coming weren't able to meet. Is anybody here a former Peace Corps volunteer besides Mr. Caston? All right. <clears throat> well, we have a very, very active group, and um, I'm, it's a pleasure being part of it. And so on behalf of our group, and the Return Peace Corps volunteers throughout the Central Coast, I want to thank you for honoring our locals connected to the Peace Corps, our organization, and the Peace Corps worldwide with this beautiful proclamation. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have any speakers that would, I, on Zoom that would like to speak to any of those three proclamations? If there are any speakers on Zoom who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I will call on you. I'm not seeing any hands raised at this time. Okay. Then we'll move on to the consent calendar. <coughs> Item B1, approval of the City Council meeting minutes February 7th, 2023. Item B2, amendment number one to revocable license agreements with new beginnings for term extension. Item B3, Resolutions terminating proclamations of local emergency related to the COVID-19 pandemic and January 2023 storm and repealing city legislation related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Item B4, update to personnel rules. <clears throat> Item B5, amendment number three to agreement <coughs> with Flowers and Associates Incorporated for professional services related to ADA capital improvements <coughs> at the Goleta Community Center. Item B6, CalRecycle Organic Waste Recovery Cycle 1 grant proceeds into Solid Waste and Environmental Services Division budget. Item B7, Amendment Number 1 to Construction Cooperative Agreement with the State of California Department of Transportation for the Equal Street and Fallower Road Extensions Project CIP Number 9002. 
item B8. Notice of completion of rectangular rapid flashing beacons at school crosswalks, project, project number 9088. Item B9, adoption of ordinance amending chapter 10.01, motor vehicles and traffic of the Goleta Municipal Code to correct outdated elements of the code and to require vehicles parked in restricted parking areas to not repark within the same block. Recommendation A, adopt and conduct second reading by title only and waive further reading of ordinance number 23 next in order, entitled an ordinance of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, amending chapter 10.01, motor vehicles and traffic of the Goleta Municipal Code to require vehicles parked in restricted parking areas to not repark within the same block and B, find that the adoption of the order ordinance is exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act under guideline 15301C and direct staff to file a notice of exemption within five business days. And item B10, establishment of a county housing element, sixth cycle ad hoc committee and appointment of council members thereto. Thank you. Council wish to pull any item from consent? Well, I think there was a, a, an amendment that you needed to make, Ms. Garibaldi. Yes, thank you, Madam Mayor. On item B3, uh, I would just ask that the council for the resolution number 23 next in line for the COVID local emergency that we add a section six that says, this resolution shall become effective upon the governor of the state of California's termination of his proclamation of the COVID-19 state of emergency, which is currently anticipated to occur on February 28th. 2023. However, should the state's COVID-19 state of emergency not terminate on February 20th, 2023, but extend to a different date, this resolution shall be effective upon that extended date. Effective, right. did you get that all? <laughs> <laughs> um, effectively, that the resolution becomes effective when the state of emergency ends. We're just clarifying that. And so that would be section No, six. as amended. As amended is my <laughs> recommendation. I'll, I'll move uh, approval of the consent agenda as amended. Okay, do we have any speakers wishes to pull anything real quick before? If there are any members of the public on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. And we don't have any speakers okay. in person either. I'll second the motion. Okay, roll call. Council members, if you could please lock in your votes. <coughs> uh -oh. Council member Kiriako. Aye. Council member Reyes Martin. Aye. Councilmember Kasdan. Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards. Yes. And Mayor Perotti. Aye. Okay. It's unanimous. I should say that any minute. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Then moving on to discussion items. First is item C1, Equal Street and Fowler Road Extensions Project and Hollister Avenue Bridge Project Professional Services Agreement with Unico Engineering Incorporated for construction management for resident engineer inspection, public outreach, and material testing services. <coughs> Excuse me.
There we go. Good evening, Madam Mayor and City Council members. I am Nina Buona, and I am the Assistant Public Works Director for the City of Goleta. Today, I will be presenting and recommending that Council work construction management for resident engineer, inspection, public outreach, and material testing services for the Equal Street and Fowler Road extension projects and Hollister Avenue Bridge project. I will be presenting along with Gerald Hamadi from COM3 Consulting who is our contract project manager for this project. The presentation outline is as follows. Gerald will be discussing the project background, project improvements, and then I will start discussing the construction management award, the project budget, and the project schedule. So with that, I'll hand it over to Gerald. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Good evening, Mayor Perotti, Mayor Pro Tem Richards, and Council members. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm start off with some background. A lot of this initial information you will have seen in various forms um, over the years. So it will be somewhat familiar, but this will be a good catch-up. The uh, Eccle and Fowler Road, Eccle Street and Fowler Road extension project, and the Hollis Avenue Bridge project are two of the highest priority transportation projects in the city, as you know. <coughs> the Equal Fowler project, as I'll refer to it, is uh, funded with state transportation funds and a mixed bag of city funds. And the Hollis Avenue Bridge project is funded through local city match for the Highway Bridge Program federal funding, which is providing the majority of funding for that project. Now, the two projects do overlap in footprint um, at Hollister Avenue at the interchange with 217. Therefore, many years ago, a decision was made is while the two projects were developed separately as independent projects with independent funding, that during construction, they would be constructed at the same time with single construction contract. And the benefits of this were significant. It will minimize disruption, uh, traffic disruption on Hollister Avenue will see some economy of scale in terms of cost and avoid throwaway work. And the reason it avoids, uh, minimizes disruption in Hollister is that if you built these sequentially, you'd do two years, for example, building the bridge, then another 18 months building the roundabouts. Um, by doing it together, we, um, we eliminate a four-year project, we shrink it to a two-year disruption of Hollister Avenue, which is obviously a major arterial in the city. Next slide um, is going to get into a little bit of the project details. This is an overall map of Old Town Goleta. You'll be very familiar with, of course. The red lines, if you can see them um, on your screens, in encapsulate the, the three main construction footprint areas of these combined projects. Up top, we have Hollister Avenue, the interchange with 217, and to the left of it, um, the red lines encapsulate the Hollister Bridge and 
uh, portion of the channel. Moving down <laughs> to the middle of the screen, you'll see Eccles Street across uh, Glider Old Town, and then at the bottom, uh, the work that we're going to be doing at what we're calling Fowler Road is, is today referred to as South Street or South Kellogg at the bottom. Now digging down a little deeper into each of these elements. First of all, Eccles Street. This map shows the, the full stretch of Eccles Street. It's a brand new street crossing east-west across Old Town, linking uh, Kellogg Avenue on the east to Fairview Avenue on the west. And there is a, a roundabout at, in the middle uh, with the intersection with Pine Avenue. The facility will have one um, vehicle lane in each direction, bike lanes in each direction on both sides, sidewalks on both sides, as well as landscape parkway for the majority of the corridor. Um, the huge benefit of Eccles Street is that it opens up um, Old Town, provides a great circulation for vehicle, pedestrian, and bicyclists alike. And the bicycle, uh, bike, the class two bike lanes, which will be constructed as part of the project, will intersect with the, the future uh, city um, bike lane project, the San Jose Creek bike lane project, which will uh, travel down Equal and then jump over at approximately Equal Street to the class one portion of it along San Jose Creek Channel. So there's a, a, a nice connection with the, the bicycle um, facilities. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is that the project will construct um, a portion of old San Jose Creek multi-use trail. It's along the eastern portion of the eastern portion of Echo Street. You can just see it faintly. It kind of separated, slightly separated from Echo Street, and it's a multi-use trail that's in the general plan, uh, referred to as the old San Jose Creek Trail. Uh, eventually with other projects, it will link up to Hollister Avenue, and then <coughs> on the west side of Pine Street, it'll uh, continue down Old Tansley Creek, down towards, uh, actually, Fowler Road. And lastly, uh, for this portion, the, the Equal Fowler Project um, has three mitigation sites to mitigate for the, the riparian and tree impacts that the project is causing, and this, one of them is located right here, as you can see my mouse, um, on the eastern end of the project. So this will be in perpetuity a green area on the north side of Echo Street. Jumping down to, to Fowler Road, or uh, what's existing South Street. Existing South Street ends here where my cursor is. Um, so the, the improvements will extend um, South Street all the way to existing Technology Drive, which is a private road, and we'll have a cul-de-sac there. It will also completely reconstruct the existing portion of South Street with brand new roadway, new sidewalks, <coughs> parkway, and there'll be parking on both sides. That will that then will be continue with the new section. There won't be parking in this new section, however, because it narrows and they have right-of-way um, restrictions. Um, just like Echo Street, there's one lane each direction, class two bike lanes, sidewalks, um, and some parkway, uh, landscape parkway. <coughs> and also, similar to Echo Street, we have uh, the second mitigation site, which is located just to the west of the end of, of the new Fowler Road, right here.
Next, we get to the, uh, to the big kahuna, the uh, improvements at Hollister Avenue, which are um, complex um, and challenging. Uh, as you can see, there's um, two roundabouts that will be constructed as part of the Eckhall Fowler project at the intersections of the southbound 217 lanes here on the west side, as well as Dearborn. So this is a, a five-legged intersection there. And then on the east side, the roundabout is with intersection of the northbound 217 ramps and north ramps. Um, the two roundabouts will be two-lane roundabouts, and there'll be a 10-foot multi-use uh, pathway that circumvents both roundabouts. This will allow um, access for pedestrians, of course, to get through the roundabouts, and it, it's also available to bicyclists if, if the bicyclists are not comfortable riding with vehicles in the roundabouts themselves. Um, other elements of uh, improvements with Equal Fowler are there's some minor improvements here at Kellogg Avenue. We'll be, we will be um, lengthening the right turn pocket from northbound Kellogg to a right turn onto, onto Hollister to provide more storage. And then here you can see where the bridge project is going to be and the channel improvements, and I'll get to that in a minute. So the next slide is, um, is a similar slide. It's just a little more colorful, kind of depicts some of the green areas that will be uh, existing post-project. A lot of this green area is already today in place. It's Caltrans right away, Caltrans Gore areas between the freeway and the ramps. However, it does show um, landscape areas that we will be constructing in the, in the roundabouts in particular. And it will provide a, a handsome gateway uh, to the city. Overall, um, I would like to mention just on the landscaping side of things, the Equal combined uh, Equal Fowler project, all three corridors, Hollister, um, Equal, and Fowler, will install um, over 125 new trees and over 6,500 new uh, plants and shrubs in the landscape areas. So the next uh, slide focuses, zooms in a little bit on the Hollister um, Avenue Bridge project. The council will, will recall that back in 2014, um, the city completed the, the San Jose Creek Channel Capacity Improvement Project. That project increased the uh, flood capacity of the existing channel, which was a trapezoidal channel, and they widened it to a rectangular one. Uh, and that was completed 300 feet short or downstream of existing Hollister Avenue. And that was what's referred to as phase one. It also included um, a fish passage element to allow um, the migration of steelhead trout from Gleader Slough to go up the channel and ultimately into the natural creek north of Hollister Bridge. So the Hollister Avenue Bridge project actually um, represents the second phase of this project, the completion phase. So the project has three main elements, structural elements. First of all, the channel. There's 300 feet uh, of channel that still needs to be widened to match up with the, the portion south of it. That'll be a rectangular section. And the fish passage channel within it with um, associated fish weirs. Then there's the bridge itself, which will replace the existing bridge. The new bridge will be about 10 feet wider in the north-south direction. And in the east-west direction, it will be about 20 feet wider 
So it's really providing this, the additional width required for the 100-year flood capacity. Also, the existing bridge built in the 60s is suffering from reactive aggregate, so it would have to be replaced anyway. And the third element is, um, is this outline in blue. It's referred to as the transition basin, and this is to address um, hydraulic energy changes between uh, water uh, creek um, flows coming down from the natural creek and transitioning into a concrete paved channel. Um, this re is a requirement for dissipation of the energy changes, hydraulic energy. So the, um, the great benefits of completing the San Jose Creek capacity improvements and fish passage are, are twofold. First of all, by doing this, 100-year uh, storm events will be retained within the channel and will not break out, which was historically um, the, 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 what would happen in an old town, in flood portions of old town. So that will be eliminated, which in, in turn will eventually um, uh, remove portions of old town from the floodplain. And then, of course, the second benefit is, is the fish passage. When the project's complete, we'll complete that that route for mi migrating fish to get into the natural portion of the creek and spawn. All right, now uh, I'm going to get into some of the, the numbers, the number game on the project, uh, which are considerable, especially in the right-of-way department. Um, extensive right-of-way was needed, especially for Equal uh, and Fowler project mainly because Eccles Street was, is the virgin road, and so a lot of property had to be acquired. In all, for Eccles Street, for the Eccles Fowler project, 19 acquisitions were required from, from, from 19, excuse me, multiple acquisitions were required from 19 separate properties. And for the Hollis Avenue Bridge, uh, multiple acquisitions were required from five separate properties. And the price tag is considerable, as you can see here. Um, there were three uh, dedications of property towards um, mainly Eccles Street. That was good. Uh, and the city did enter into six imminent domain actions, uh, four of which have, have been settled, and two are still in litigation. And finally, the project team will also be continuing to work to extend temporary construction easements, uh, the timeline for them during um, construction over the next uh, 18 months or so. Lastly, um, utility relocations. Uh, this table tries to capture um, the extent of, uh, of relocations required for the project. There are multiple, 56 conflicts result because of the construction of the project. So what that means is that the road conflicts or the roundabout or bridge conflicts with existing utility, therefore utility has to be relocated. Uh, this is a complex and, and, and a challenging effort and we've been coordinating with utility companies now for over five years on getting relocation designs completed, and you can see the various relocation required for each of the different <coughs> utility companies. Uh, the most complex, as you can imagine, though, on Hollister Avenue, where um, it's, it's a utility corridor as well as a road and pedestrian and bicyclist corridor. Um, the utilities relocations occur in, in two categories, one prior to construction of our project, and the other is during construction of our project. So we've already 
a lot of uh, utilities have already been relocated, especially down at South Street and at Pine Avenue, some of the easier ones. And as we speak today, utility companies are out on Hollister Avenue doing some pre-construction uh, relocations there. And that will continue up to construction and, as I said, during construction as well. And that concludes my portion of the presentation. I'm going to turn it back to Nina. Gerald, thank you for that wonderful synopsis of the project. So now we're going to talk about the Construction Management Team Award. And from this point forward, I'll refer to them as the CMT. The Public Works Capital Improvement Program Division, or CIP, is responsible for constructing and repairing city infrastructure such as roads, bridges, drainage facilities, and traffic signals. For these projects to be successful, cost-efficient, and safe, they must be managed by engineers and inspectors. For this reason, the city staff posted a request for proposals, or RFP, to hire a construction management team for this project. The RFP for this project was 1,932 pages, of which 1,737 pages were the bid documents. This gives you the idea of the magnitude of this project. The RFP was advertised in the Santa Barbara Independent and placed on Planet Bids on October 27, 2022, and included a disadva disadvantaged business enterprise or DBE percentage goal of 20%. The proposals were due November 23, 2022, and three firms submitted their proposals. The city put together a five-member evaluation team consisting of three city staff members, one staff person from the city of Santa Barbara, one staff person from Caltrans. This team reviewed all the proposals and conducted interviews, and based on the ranking criteria qualifications outlined in the RFP, Unico was the top-ranked firm. Unico is a DBE, therefore we will be exceeding the DBE goal. CMT responsibilities. The CMT consists of a resident engineer, inspection staff, public outreach, environmental compliance, and material testing. This project is federally funded using Federal Highway Administration funds, or FHWA funds, which are administ administered through Caltrans local assistance. The CMT ensures the city follows federal requirements for construction and safeguards that the contractor builds the project to the city bid documents. In addition to ensuring the project is built to the city big doc bid documents, the CMT will ensure that the city is eligible for federal reimbursement on all eligible project costs. So now we'll be discussing the CMT costs. For this slide, we will discuss the CMT costs and the roles and responsibilities of the CMT categories. The full, the full cost for the CMT is approximately $5.8 million. This cost will, will, will be over 620 working days of construction, which is equivalent to 31 months of construction. Accounting for pre- and post-construction services, the total, the total amount of time for the contractor will be approximately 3.2 years, which brings us to approximately $1.8 million per year for CMT services. The CMT will follow Chapter 16, Construction Contracts of Local Assistance Procedure Manual, or the LAPM, which is required for federal funds. The construction management team costs are as follows. In the first, first line of the table, we have 
resident engineer, inspection services, office engineer, and structures rep, and the cost is approximately $4.2 million. The resident engineer is the designated qualified engineer who is empowered to administer the construction contracts. The resident engineer provides overall management and supervision of the contractor and construction management team to ensure that the work is being completed in compliance with the project plans, specification, state and federal law, project permits, and funding requirements. Inspection staff. There will be different locations of work and more than two operations of work happening at one time on this, on this project. Therefore, there will be more than one inspector. The, the project inspectors will monitor the contractor's daily activities in their field report. The inspectors shall document, monitor, and correct any necessary construction issues and note those in the daily reports. The reports will include, but are not limited to, public safety, equipment, labor, measurement of quantities, and labor compliance. The daily report is the holy grail of construction documentation. This will provide detailed description of the contractor's activities. With this report, anyone can recreate a workday down to the penny. With full-time inspection, there will be less chances of escalating potential change orders, which means fewer change orders. I would also like to note that if the contractor works more than what is outlined in the construction documents, the contractor will reimburse the city for inspection staff time. So now we're gonna talk about the office engineer. The office engineer provides overall support and assistance with maintaining the project documentation. The construction project will have 63 categories of construction activities to maintain. The office engineer will oversee document control. They will be the gatekeepers of submittals, material testing, daily reports, labor, labor compliance, weekly statement of working days, progress payments, just to name a few. Document control is a critical aspect of this project and will need to be done in accordance with the LAPM to ensure little or no findings during a federal audit. Structures representative. The structures representative provides overall management and supervision of the bridge, retaining walls, soil nail walls, and drainage culverts. This includes renewing temporary, <coughs> this includes reviewing temporary work for structural adequacy, project safety, and verification of materials used. Public outreach. As you can see in the table, public outreach is approximately $500,000. Public outreach will focus on reaching people in advance and during construction to communicate expectation and minimize impact. The outreach team will work directly with those along the alignment as well as, sh as well as share information through the city of Goleta's established communicate communication channels and reach a broader audience. A project specific email and phone number will be established to provide a single point of communication for residents, businesses, and commuters. Information will be provided in English and Spanish. Interactions will be logged and the outreach team will coordinate directly with the fill team to resolve issues. Material testing, which is approximately $581,000. Material testing ensures that materials incorporated into the project improvements meet the requirements of the project documents as well as the city's quality assurance program. All material testing shall be in conformance with Caltrans sampling and testing. This will ensure that the city is getting what is required in the bid documents and will ensure the materials longevity. 
This includes sampling of soil aggregates, steel, concrete, hot mix asphalt, and other materials. The materials, the material tester will ensure that passing tests are received for the materials. This, this protects the city, the city's funding, because if the test fails and if it's not followed up with a passing test, the auditing agency will demand the money back from the city for the work of the failed test. And environmental compliance, which is about 481,000 in the project costs. The project includes environmentally sensitive areas that include compliance within five permitting agencies. The project includes work within an active creek and in, in, and in environmentally sensitive areas requiring training, timing, and observation. The environmental team will ensure the city is building this project while following all permit requirements. So we'll, dust, we'll drill down on public outreach a little more because it's important. The city has had over 30 points of interface with the public through council meetings, planning commissions, and other commission meetings. Community outreach is a critical component of the project's success. The project outreach team will coordinate with the city's community relations manager and public work staff to develop the public outreach campaign. The outreach will provide real-time information to the public to keep them aware of the project's progress and impact during construction. There will be meetings with the public, residents, and businesses impacted by the project. These meetings will provide the public with what is expected of the project and timing. The project will have desi a designated website that will provide up-to-date information and construction tasks. During construction, the impacts on the public will change and the public outreach team will maintain consistent communication with the public using a variety of tools, including but not limited to project-specific email, phone, a project-specific phone number, website, to ensure quick response times for residents, adjacent stakeholders, and the traveling public. This will also include coordination with Caltrans public outreach team to provide up-to-date information regarding the two Caltrans projects occurring during this project. Um, and this, this is how, and we'll, we'll notify the public of how this can affect Goleta tra traffic. I would also like to note that we've been working with our outreach team and we've come up with um, a logo for the project. So we have di five different construction components in three locations. So the project name is Project Connect Building for Goleta's Future. Project budget. The total proje project cost for Equal Fowler is approximately 45 million. This includes three new roads, which include Eccles Street and one roundabout, Fowler Road, and Hollister Avenue, as well as two roundabouts. Please note the American Rescue Plan Act, and I will refer to that as ARPA, funds of approximately 4.9 million, and the unfunded amount of 5.3 million. Public Works and Finance have been working on a strategy for the ARPA funds to be transferred. Based on updated project cost estimate, there is currently estimated an unfunded amount of $10.2 million for construction costs. 
At the time of the budget adoption on June 21st, 2022, the unfunded amount was estimated at 1.4 million, which was supported by the addition of available transportation DIF funds at the time. Public Works staff is working with finance staff closely to fill the $10.2 million gap between the bid award scheduled summer of 2023. One of the strategies is to use the ARPA funds of 4.9 million currently programmed toward Cathedral Oaks crib wall repair project. These funds will be requested to be transferred to this project to meet the funding deadline requirements. ARPA funds need to either be expended or encumbered by December 31st, 2024 with the, the funds fully ex expended by December 31st, 2026. Due to the construction timing and priority need of funding for the Equal Fowler project, staff will recommend this transfer. If the ARPA funds are transferred, this will leave a 5.3 million funding gap for the Equal Fowler project. Further project funding will be, will be evaluated during the CIP workshops held in the spring of 2023 where the funding of Equal Fowler, the crib wall, and other CIP project funding will be discussed. Requests for funding appropriation will be done for this project at the time of construction award and when final negotiated amounts are known. The total cost for the Hollister Bridge project is approximately 28 million. The Hollister Bridge includes all the work for the bridge replacement and the channel improvements. The, project, the project's total cost, which includes pipe five public work facilities, Echo Street, Fowler Road, Hollister Avenue, Hollister Avenue Bridge, and the channel improvements, is, a, is approximately $73 million. The project has been updated to the most current construction costs. As you can see, we have accounted for conceptual design, environmental, final design, right-of-way costs, construction costs, construction management costs, and construction oversight for city staff, which includes city staff time and consultant staff time. The $73 million includes approximately $40 million in grant funds, approximately $27.8 million in city funds, and if we transfer the ARPA funds, approximately $5.3 million will be unfunded. Project schedule. As you can see, we have attached the project schedule that shows the final design, May of 2023. We will be advertising the project, May of 2023, and, the, and plan to award the project, July of 2023. This means that work will start August 2023. We will be starting later in the season, and the contractor will start by constructing Equal Street and fully constructing Fowler Road during the first construction season. This provides the contractor time to get into the construction rhythm and have a well-oiled machine when they move forward with the construction of Hollister Bridge, which is a more technically difficult portion of work. The benefit of performing the work like this is that we will have a whole year to see how the Hollister interim striping performs in Old Town Goleta, and we should also have Equal Road and Fowler Road construction in the first year of work so the roads can be used as pass-through during the bridge construction. The Equal Street and Fowler Road Extension Project and Hollister Avenue Bridge Project, or as I like to call it, Project Connect, 
will be the largest project, one of the most exciting and complicated projects the city has executed. I am proud to be a part of this project, and with that said, staff recommends awarding and authorizing the city manager to execute a professional services agreement with Unico Engin Engineering Incorporated for construction management for resident engineer inspection, public outreach, and material testing services for the combined Equal Street Fowler Road Extension Project and Hollister Avenue Bridge Project in the amount of $5,799,313.44. Questions? <laughs> Thank you both for your report. Um, questions? Councilman. Councilmember Carriaco. Um, can you just kind of highlight or underline um, just kind of an exclusive focus on the schedule for the main deliverables? Uh, when is the ETA for the beginning of Hollister Bridge? When is the ETA for the roundabouts? When is the ETA for the work uh, at Fowler? Uh, just so that when is the ETA for beginning to take Equal from where it dead ends currently at mm -hmm. Winslow and extend it through? Just so people can kind of have like, okay, I need to be ready around March for this, I need to be ready around April for that, whatever whatever the time frame is, okay. just so people can kind of have it in kind of bite-sized chunks. Um, thank you for that question, Councilmember Kiriako. So we'll be starting with Equal and Fowler in August. Those will probably take a full construction season or a year to construct. Um, and then we'll pivot to the Hollister Bridge. So we we can be in the bridge, but the permit requires us that we can only be in the, the creek area between, it's usually June 1st to September 15th. So that's when the bridge will be constructed. So it'll be next, next season, not this season. Um, and then I would think with the bridge being constructed, they would also do the roundabouts. Um, Sure. The um, and Nina's correct. The the dry season is actually June to October, uh, and it can even sneak into November depending on what's happening. And so the first um, the Hollister work, which will be bridge plus roundabouts, will start in June, May June next year. Um, that'll be stage one for the bridge. The bridge will be built in in halves, northern half then southern half. Hollister will be kept open the whole time. And so the bridge work or the creek in the channel will, will end in November, but then there'll be other bridge uh, on the surface of the bridge work uh, continuing, and the roundabout work will continue all the way around till you get to the next dry season in 25, uh, May 25, June 25. Then the second half of the bridge will, will be built then, and that'll end the end of 25, or November 25, and the project will be concluded all the Hollister work will be concluded in uh, in early 26. The the uh, important point is that there's a nexus between the staging of the bridge work and the staging of the roundabouts. So um, the roundabouts will not be completed until all the bridge work is completed. They go right hand in hand. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of the big picture. And Equal Street, as Nina said, and Fowler will be completed way early, hopefully in a year. But those decisions are the contractor's decisions. So, but he, he won't, um, or they won't be able to work on Hollister because of the constraints of the dry season when we start in August. So they'll have to work on Echo Street and Fowler. Okay, thank you. 
And so then just one follow-up question. So then for August of this year with the beginning of the equal work, um, do we anticipate doing some pretty far and wide um, noticing? Are we anticipating doing, doing some kind of a you know, town hall meet and greet for people that live uh, you know, uh, next to, you know, at Winslow or near Winslow, the, the, the Kellogg condos that are close mm -hmm. by at Willow Creek, uh, the businesses that r are on south, you know, south of Hollister behind, you know, along Carson Street, you know, near Equal. Can you just uh, walk me through the noticing just a little bit so that I'm clear on what our engagement strategy is? So we have a very aggressive public outreach plan. Um, and as soon as this is awarded tomorrow, I'm gonna reach out to our consultant and start working on the strategy. And we will be meeting often with the stakeholders, residents, and um, whoever would like to come to the meetings to discuss what to expect. Um, we plan to provide, during construction, provide weekly updates of what's happening. Um, so we plan to have a very aggressive interact, not, you know, we want to be very interactive with residents, stakeholders, the motoring public. Um, we also have two other projects happening at the same time with Caltrans. So we're going to be co coordinating with them so that we're giving our residents real time of what to expect with those projects as, as well because they will affect the traffic in Goleta and with these projects. Okay. I would just ask as we start uh, doing our noticing um, I appreciate the aggressiveness. Uh, some specific uh, streets that I'm thinking of, Placencia and Kellogg, that are tucked back really close to the airport. And sometimes forget people forget that they're there. Uh, I want to make sure that community is is noticed. Matthew Street, uh, Daly. Uh, let's just make sure we err on the side of letting letting everybody, even semi close, um, know from the beginning what what's coming. We um, usually do a 500 foot radius as well, so we're. 500 feet, depending upon which part, stage of the project you're thinking about noticing for, um, won't capture some of those neighborhoods. Placentia, the, the, the uh, <coughs> further along part of, okay. of Kellogg, you wouldn't really, um, the project won't come within 500 feet of them until you're doing the Fowler part. But I think it'd be nice to just kind of start getting them in the rhythm of, hey, this thing is coming, this I thing agree. is coming. Thank you, uh, I, that's it for me. Councilman Kasdan. Yeah, uh, with respect to the staging, I was curious, I mean, the, it's ironic, this is the biggest project, and yet the one that has gotten the most attention is probably the striping, which is one of our cheapest projects. So, uh, and I guess, where does this fit in, uh, in terms of the, how, does, how, did we, how do we nestle in the um, striping project among those various elements of the staging? Council Member Kasdan, thank you for that question. Um, we actually plan on hiring um, a public outreach team for the Hollister Interim Striping Project to notify residents, stakeholders along that corridor to inform them of the project. And because Hollister won't be in construction for a full year, we'll have that time to see how the interim stri striping functions. So you had listed these various stages uh, for the different elements and this one would come in where does it fit among those the you know Equal Fowler, Hollister, etc the roundabouts and so forth? Um, the interim striping project it'll go first so the interim striping project will happen start June July and be completed within three months so we'll get that full year 
and we won't be on Hollister until April, May of 2024. Okay, so we'll have a full year we to uh, to work on it. That's great. Uh, the other, really, the other thing that that stood out for me in particular, you had mentioned the uh, idea of um, diverting money from the Cathedral Oaks crib wall. Um, I don't. We get a lot of public attention about Cathedral Oaks, and I would urge you to look for another source of revenue. Uh, I don't know, you know, what's available, but. That doesn't seem like a good choice. Well, I just want to note that that would be funded with another source at a later oh. date. We wouldn't just leave it hanging. The Cathedral Oaks Crib Wall is a very important project as well. Um, so I agree with you. But that at a later date is the part that's a little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you hear what I'm saying. Okay. Yes. Thank, that's it for me. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to jump in here on, on piggyback on what Councilman McCasson um, just said about the crib wall. Uh, that crib wall and that area has been closed since 2017. And the community has been, I mean, they've been really patient. Um, it, it was well used, and it probably would be even used more so now because um, there's just so many more people riding their bikes and walking to both the schools. And, um, but there's also the, the roadway that I have concerns about. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot of rain this year. We are heading for more rain. Um, I always worry about um, it expanding, the sinkhole, um, and it would just be a, a nightmare to have that road have to be closed. So um, I know we're not agendized to talk about the crib wall, but I would like it to come back and really discuss um, when, how, and um, the funding um, it can't be put off very much longer. It has to be, um, and I will say again, that community has been extremely patient, um, but I'm more concerned about it uh, having to close the road as well. So, And I see kids and moms and their babies in strollers walking in the street. They're not on the path where that path is well used. So, um, you know, I, I really feel like it needs to come back for discussion. Mayor Perotti, thank you for that, and Public Works will come back um, with discussion on that. I also want to note that during the recent storm events, Public Works has been monitoring the site, and we have a consultant, Geotech, going out to perform more testing to ensure that that road is safe. But if we get a lot more storms, it might not someday, so that's my concern. You know, I don't think we should put this off any longer, so thank you. Okay. Um, Councilmember Reyes-Martin. Thank you, and thank you for the really <clears throat> thorough presentation. Um, I think I find myself like many other likely residents who are either learning about this for the first time or are being reminded of this because it has been a project that's been kind of slowly moving along for, for many years before incorporation, um, as noted in the staff report. So some of my questions might be clarification or they might be questions that have been asked at some point in the past. Um, but I do have a couple of quick questions. Um, if you could pull up the visual of the two roundabouts, that might be just clarification. Maybe there was another one. No, not that one. That one's, that one's harder for me to. There was one that showed the crosswalks, which is what I wanted to ask about. No, there was another one. 
that one? That one. Okay. Um, so uh, can you talk to me about the crosswalks? Are they, will there be a signal? How, is it, how would you do the crosswalks function? No, there's no signal. Um, the way roundabouts are designed um, is that um, they're, they're geometrically designed to, to, to create a lot of friction and slow traffic down, so you can see from the tight angles. Um, and of course, they have to slow down just to go around um, a, a big a circle like that. And so the, as, as they approach the intersection, for instance, let's just say you're going along um, eastbound Hollister, uh, you go over the bridge, and as you approach this intersection, you're, you're slowing quite, quite to, a sl to a slow speed, and if a pedestrian wishes to speak, they um, speak, <laughs> excuse me, wishes to cross, um, they, would, they would do so, and, and the cars would have to give way. Um, so, but there is no push button signal um, warning. No. Yeah, so that's really concerning to me, given it's a it's a really major road with two lanes, and there's nowhere else along Hollister where I mean we've actually worked as a city to proactively create um, crosswalks that are safest and actually stop traffic. So it it doesn't. I look at these crosswalks and they're not usable from my perspective, um, knowing that area. So that's kind of a concern that I have. You know, if someone was a pedestrian, I guess they'd have to walk all the way down to Kellogg to, to, to a, a stop sign. Um, so that's one thing I wanted to, to, to point out. Um, the other is you mentioned there's um, the multi-use path. Yes. Um, on the, at the, maybe this is not the best one, but is that, I want, just want a clarification for where gray, that is. It's the big gray gray okay. stripe that goes all the way around. Do you see that? Yes. Okay. Thank you. I, I was just trying to figure out where that mm -hmm. works. And it's a t 10 foot wide. And th I think there was mention of outreach having been done at some point in the past to um, the bicyclist community about how bicycles would um, travel through here. Can you, do you have any of that background? or what their input was? Yes, I mean, the, the, at various times, uh, the project has been presented similar, similar to what we're doing today. And there's been you know, questions from the Bike Coalition. And the Bike Coalition's actually reviewed the plans. Um, th this is fairly standard for roundabout design today. Um, it, it's, um, it's similar to what, what you're seeing at, um, you know, at Milpa's roundabout in the city and in, in the Montecito, the roundabout there at uh, Coast Village Road, and the ones they're building right now at Olive Mill, et cetera. Um, for bicyclists, there's a ramp. Um, so you're, you're in the Class 2 facility on the road. Again, if you're going eastbound on Hollister, you're in a Class 2 facility here on a bike, and you decide, you know, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to get in the roundabout, so then you can mm -hmm. get onto, there's a ramp up to the uh, multi-use okay. trail, and then you just walk your bicycle, or you can even ride your bicycle. And then the same occurs in the other direction when you're getting off, you're on the multi-use trail as a bicyclist, and then you get off at a ramp here, and then get onto the class two. So that's the okay, standard design uh, requirement. Thank you, and I think one of my last questions for now is, uh, you know, the, with the public outreach um, 
Can we ensure that that's, there's bilingual public outreach? Council Member Reyes-Martin, thank you for the question. Yes, that's a guarantee. Great, thank you. I think that's all I have for now. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Richards. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, I, I want to, um, one of my questions has already been addressed, but I want to just acknowledge that I really appreciate that the, with the staging that the Equil and Fowler roads will be done first. Um, you know, with the, with the restriping program uh, uh, that we're doing, that project, there's going to be a lot of impacts on that. Uh, and so as soon as we can get an alternative for people to get east-west through Old Town, the better. So is it, is it, will it be true then that that road part, that section will reopen, that will open up um, and be open for traffic yeah, at, at which point it's done before, you know, or maybe as the other, uh, the bridge and the other roundabouts are, are getting going. We're not going to wait until the whole project is done before we just have open it up, right? Mayor Pro Tem Richards, that is correct. Okay. That's good news. Uh, so I'll, I'll be, <laughs> I, I think, that, so it sounds like there will still be about a year of pain, you know, before that would happen, before the, uh, that, that section of it would be open then. Correct. Okay. Um, I, I, while this uh, slide is up, I have a question here regarding the interface with where the San Jose Creek bike, multi-use bike path will come out. Can you show us on this map where that uh, path will come out and, and how that interface will look here? Yes, uh, Councilman Richards. Um, the Class 1 facility comes down on the west side of the creek. So it's, it's approximately through these bushes. <laughs> and, then, um, and then a bicyclist would, or a pedestrian, or let's say bicyclist, then they would, if they wanted to get continue, they would have to um, either go down to Kellogg um, in, in the class two and then cross here, or they, they would, yeah, that's the only way they'd get across. So, excuse me. Sorry. So, so, will, so when they get to that sidewalk then, will there be a, a little ramp to get onto the class two bike path at that point? Or will they have to follow the sidewalk and yes. go down to the intersection at That's Kellogg? a great question. Um, it's not included in this project, um, but I'd, I'd like to talk to the, um, the project manager for, for, the, for the bike path, Teresa Lopes, and that that could be uh, incorporated. But that's, that's a great, great question. It should be. So okay, it yeah, it's, to do. it seems like it would be better to at least have that ramp or that infrastructure uh, yep. planned as part of this before having to go back and, and redo that later. Yes. Okay, great. Um, I had another question about the green area that, that you mentioned that was north of Equil. I guess this would be directly across the street from the Winslow community. Yes, it's you said there was going, due uh, west yeah, of it. Number, uh, slide number five, uh, can you uh, bring yeah. that up? I, I, I don't know if there's a better one, but yeah, that kind of shows yeah. where that is. Right um, here, yeah. And so I know at one point the city had uh, discussed putting in a bridge uh, right in this location somewhere, a pedestrian uh, bicycle bridge that would connect, I, I believe due north of that yes. is the community center and right where the field is in the back. Is that, uh, is that on any of our plans at this point or is there any thought about how that will connect at some point um, to this project? 
Right. And yes, at one point, uh, many years ago, uh, maybe 10 years ago, the if you can see the multi-use trail, um, it had a, a leg that kind of extended north to, um, but it, it didn't uh, include the bridge over the old, old San Jose Creek. That was too much um, scope creep for the project. Um, and so it was, it was left off to just, just this um, portion of it. As far as um, where, where and when these other pieces of this multi-use trail were built, I know it's in the general plan, as you do too, but um, I don't believe it's uh, earmarked in any CIP project that I'm aware of at this point. Okay, so, you know, I, I know we're not agendized to talk about that, but I, I, would, I would like to keep that idea of that project alive. You know, I think it would be a great connection right there um, to connect uh, across the street. So if we were to uh, want to uh, pursue that, then we would have to add that to the CIP project list. That's correct. Yeah, it was not addressed in the environmental document. Okay. Um, it would have to be a new project. Okay, thank you. Um, and then uh, my last question was with regard to the changing of the hazard of, of the flood hazard maps. You had mentioned that, and this was a you know something of, of a lot of concern in the, in the neighborhood because, from what I've understand, that the the, the current bridge is a 25-year flood uh, uh, rated, and yep. the new one will be a 100-year flood rated. So, so the map uh, will potentially be able to be redrawn. But uh, what's that? Pro what's what, what's entailed with that? How will that happen? Will that be automatic, or uh, how long mm -hmm. might that take, or when would that process start? Well, it's um, it's, it's already started. It started with the original San Jose Creek Capacity Improvement Project. And a conditional map, map uh, conditional letter of map revision was filed with FEMA, um, defining the improvements that the project would bring, um, which actually included all the improvements, not just the portion they built. Um, so the the sequence of events is we we then we now build this phase two project. We complete the flood capacity improvements, therefore. And then at that point, we submit a, um, a final letter of map revision back to FEMA. It's, an, it's another process, and it reflects the as-built condition uh, as opposed to a design condition. And then FEMA looks at it, and they say, yes, everything still looks great. And then they uh, revise. They send us, fine, you, you approved. And then they revise the maps to reflect the changed floodplain. Okay. So there's still a few years away from that, but we're getting there. Okay, well, that, that is good news, but it also, I think, is important for people to know that it's not going to happen immediately. It, that, so basically, we have to wait until it's built, and then we can per, uh, continue pursuing those revisions to that map. Yes. It, it, I think it would also be good at some future point to you know uh, show those maps uh, again. I think we've seen them before, but um, uh, that, that's an important thing because I think there will be many properties. I don't know if you know how many, um, but that are currently in the floodplain that will be removed from that once that's all said and done. Yes, I don't know off the top of my head, but you're, you're absolutely correct. Right. Okay, thank you. Okay, not seeing any more questions from council. Do we have any um, public speakers? We do not have any public speakers in person, but if there are any members of the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. And I do not see any speakers at this time. Could you go back to that one slide that um, 
Councilmember Reyes-Martin was um, looking at the crosswalks. I didn't catch the number on that. <coughs> and the thought that um, the, the San Jose Creek bike path would end and that to get across by the bridge, um, you'd have to go back to Kellogg to cross? As a bicyclist. As, as a bicyclist. Yeah. Well, I've learned from experience, they're not going to go back if they want to go forward. <laughs> so is there any way that Yes, they, they could walk their bicycle along the sidewalk and then cross at the crosswalk here just like a pedestrian. Okay. And that's probably what would happen. Mm. Yeah. And I'm also thinking there's a lot of um, children um, that walk to school um, along that way, that route to the Catholic school. Hmm. Um, so, um, depending on which direction they're coming from. Okay, I, I do have concerns a little bit about that. We'll see how that plays out. Um, that's all questions I have. Mayor Patem, do you have, oh, no? More questions? I went to the public. Oh. You want to check one more time? I can't. This is a perfect opportunity for the public to be asking questions, and um, I don't know. If there are any members on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and we'll call on you. And there are no public okay. speakers. Thank you for trying. Councilmember Pavlik. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Right now with flood insurance, they don't have to pay flood insurance and this will ensure that they never do? Or is that? Uh, That's my understanding. If you're not in a floodplain, you don't need in, in flood insurance. And so by doing this, we won't be, uh, that won't come up? Yes. Yeah. That's a good thing. And um, I understand this is just long term. I understand that the climate change is projected to have waters advance. Are they going to come? How far up will they come? Are they going to cover this area? I haven't. I, I know there's a map, the kind of the, the, the fine blue line map that, that shows the, depending on your projection um, that you're using for, you know, uh, 50, 2050 or 2000, what kind of sea level rise we're going to see and then storm surge. Um, I don't believe that, uh, again, I'm, I'm not positive. I don't believe the waters come too far up the channel. Um, it's really the slough and airport areas that get inundated, um, as you know. Okay. Thank you. Okay. May I pretend? Well, Richard? yeah, I, I want to react to the the question and concern that you brought up, um, Mayor Brody, you know, because I, I am also concerned about that interface with the bike path and what happens when bicyclists that are coming south on that and, and hit Hollister right there at that bridge. And, and if they want to go uh, east onto Hollister, it's a tricky maneuver. I mean, it's not, um, you know, it, they'll either be expected, like we heard, to walk their bikes over the bridge um, and then cross the, uh, the, the, the sidewalk there, you know, uh, in, the, in the crosswalk, or continue and then do a U-turn, which I guarantee most people won't do. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, at this point, I'm not sure if, 
what kind of solutions there might be. It, I, um, I, I would suppose that we're kind of past the, the stage of a lot of uh, um, redesigning of this, but I think it would be good for our staff to take a look at that particular question and that maneuver and maybe, you know, think about um, what might happen, f you know, with regard to the other project that we have on our, on our list. Because I think we should think about it now before we get too far down because it's, it's going to be a problem. We can see that. I mean, that, you know, we just know that, that that will happen. And so we should think about what we expect people to do. And, you know, I, I don't know if the sidewalk in that place I'm not clear, uh, you had mentioned that the sidewalk uh, was 10 feet in some places and that is meant to be a multi-use path to include uh, bicyclists, uh, have enough room for bicyclists and pedestrians. Is that section over the bridge uh, uh, that wide and, and would that be an appropriate place for people to ride their bike on that section or, uh, or would there be some other solution that, that, that could be looked at? Yes, Mayor Pro Tem Richards. Um, as it happens, the the width of the sidewalk on the bridge is ten feet. In this location, um, the sidewalk narrows to to eight as we go further east or west, um, and the multi-use trail kind of begins where the where the crosswalk is. Mm -hmm. so it's all this. So uh, um, a bicyclist could just ride on the wider sidewalk, and um, if they wanted to go then they could just get to the crosswalk or they could even continue all the way around until they get to Ward Drive on the other side. Um, ultimately, I assume they want to go on, on the traffic lane so they'll have to cross over to the other side of the street at some point. Mm -hmm. But um, it's a good point. The sidewalk here is 10 feet, so it almost is the same as the multi-use trail. But it, it's, um, it's an issue that we should discuss with the the, the class one bike team, project team. Mm -hmm. Great, I agree, thank you. Okay, uh, it looks like we're ready for a motion. Does anybody in the, like to make that motion? We are making a motion, aren't we? Yes. Is it the? Madam Mayor, I'm happy to make it. Is it, yes? Um, I'll move that we award and authorize the city manager to execute a professional services agreement with Unico Engineering Inc. for construction management for resident engineer inspection, public outreach, and material testing, CMT, services for the combined Eccles Street and Fowler Road extensions project and Hollister Avenue Bridge project in the amount of five, $5,799,313.44. Do I have a second? Second. Okay. Any more discussion? Not seeing any. Uh, roll call vote, please. Council members, please lock in your votes. <coughs> Council member Kiriako? Aye. Council member Reyes Martin? Aye. Council member Kasdan? Aye. Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Yes. And Mayor Perotti? Aye. I believe the ayes have it. There it is. Yeah, let's take a 10-minute break. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to bring this meeting back to order. Do you read the next item into the uh, um, record? 
Please. Item C2, request to support the award of EMS contract to provide ambulance services to the Santa Barbara County Fire Department. Thank you. Okay. Madam Mayor, I can yes. cue this up. Um, Thank members you. Members of council, members of the public. I don't have a staff report, but this is an item that was requested by two council members. First, council member Cariaco, and then uh, he received uh, concurrence from council member Reyes-Martin. There also are two council members who are on our public safety subcommittee, so there's a connection there as well. Um, so following our normal rules, that um, request was put into me. Uh, to put this uh, report and resolution on the council's agenda for the full council's consideration. Uh, the staff report is in front of you, goes into some detail, uh, and the resolution also uh, is there for your consideration. Um, and the bottom line, of course, of the resolution that's before you is that the city of Goleta would support better services through a more comprehensive, transparent, and accountable approach to EMS. And, then, and thus strongly desires that the County of Santa Barbara award Santa Barbara County Fire Department the EMS contract to provide ambulance and associated services uh, within the city of Goleta. This is obviously part of a, a bigger thing that's going on countywide, and that's why the request came in. And at that point, I'll turn it over to uh, your council members. Okay. Council Member Kiriakou. I, I'm happy to start us off. And, uh, so. The, the reason I requested this at our Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness uh, Standing Committee uh, and requested the concurrence of um, Council Member Reyes-Martin, um, it, it's not because I have an, an overriding interest in jumping into fights with the County of Santa Barbara about their internal processes and how they, they come to decisions. Uh, rather, it's more that this process at the county has been dragging out for quite some time uh, beginning with the RFP process, the request for proposal process for ambulance services. That's a process I've been following for some time. Uh, that eventually led into an RFP. The, um, for the first time, we had both a private bidder and a public bidder. This is a, a new phenomenon in, in the state of California. Um, historically, these uh, processes have been single bid private, private entities providing private contracted services. Uh, Contra Costa County kind of changed the mold by going to more of an alliance model where public safety stepped in and handled um, ambulance services and emergency response. And that ended up being evaluated as being a very effective model for service delivery that basically cheaper, faster, better, just to kind of summarize it. And sorry to, to summarize that perhaps a little bluntly. Um, and that received a little bit of pushback from, from different state agencies, and it culminated in the state passing Assembly Bill 389, which created a framework and an easier process for counties to be able to start uh, acting um, to allow a, you know, more of an open bidding process from public and private um, agencies that wanted to provide these kinds of services. So that's really how we got to here uh, the County of Santa Barbara, I believe, would be one of the first that would be going uh, for a public bid under this new legislation, where the new legislation would apply. And so, from my standpoint, I, I watched the RFP process uh, very carefully. Um, I watched what happened with the county decision, the protest process, and I felt like if the city of Goleta continued to wait, we might find ourselves in a position where we'd sort of lose the chance to weigh in. And so that's why the request came to you this way as opposed to 
you know, a more formal staff report from the committee, you know, with presentations and data and analysis. Uh, but really, this is really more where the state of the science is going just in the industry to have more competition among public and private bidders. Um, from my standpoint, we already have an existing relationship with the county fire district. Um, we know what kind of services they provide. Um, we also know what kind of services that we receive from the ambulance services folks from AMR. Uh, Pre-incorporation, we have a 30-year track record with them too. Um, one way or another, this is going to be resolved. But I felt like it was important for Goleta to be represented um, as an entity that has a lot of seniors, has a lot of people that are very sensitive to things like response times, very sensitive to um, how the services are delivered. Um, I just, I felt like it was important to at least have this conversation to make a recommendation. And at the end of the day, uh, the council will work its will <coughs> and uh, we'll, we'll go one way or another. But I, th I thought it was important for us to have this conversation at council uh, with a recommendation from the two committee members. Uh, we also have folks from, uh, from the fire district here. We have folks from AMR here. So we have opportunities for, um, you know, to hear input from everybody. And at the end of the day, we can make a decision. Thank you. Councilmember Thompson? Yeah, um, I'm not sure who to address these questions to, actually. I mean, if it's, this is, but, uh, you know, what I would want to know is, so I understand there's an independent com committee that evaluated the contracts, and so I'd want to know more about the nature of this panel, what the review process was based on, what were the factors that went into the review, and what was the basis for their decision, why did they make the decision that they did? What was there evidence or some sort of sense that their decision was inappropriate? What is the basis for for us to do this? Uh, I don't know who would have this information to be able to respond. Um, I'd be happy to have Chief Hartwig. We have again, we have a relationship with the fire district. Um, I'm sure they could illuminate us, and if there's a representative from AMR that wants to speak and give their perspective to those questions, I think let's hear from both sides and make a decision. Well, all right, we can go to public comment and they can Would answer. Would you like to go um, first with uh, Councilmember Reyes-Martinez? We'll yeah, I think comment. I'll just quickly add, you know, I have been following this process, um, as Councilmember Kiriako mentioned, it's been going on for quite some time at the county level. I have um, listened into, I think, virtually every presentation where this topic has come to the county. Um, as, a, as a former volunteer public information officer who has worked in OEM, worked with um, County Fire and others, um, I had a, a strong interest in following this process. Um, and also because as a council member, we, have, we are a significant stakeholder um, in, in this process. Um, and I agree that I, I felt that my concurrence was for us to have this discussion, and I, I do think that we are in a position where um, we should, um, you know, have, have our voice and, and as representatives um, weighing in um, on, this, on this topic. Um, I, I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about what that bid process was, and um, I, those were hours and hours long meetings. I don't know that I, we necessarily want to get, you know, way down into the weeds of all that. But for me, the bottom line is really about, you know, as uh, the, the elected representatives for Goleta, 
um, you know, and hearing, you know, we'll hear from both sides, but, you know, how are our residents best served um, and where do we have, you know, the strongest um, accountability for our, for our residents and making sure that uh, they are served well um, in the event that they should ever need, um, you know, ambulance services. Thank you for that. Do you have, did you have your light on because you, oh, you just left it on. I didn't know whether you had more. I think, you know, at this point, um, I'd like to hear from um, public or from the different agencies that are here, fire and EMR, um, David. I don't know who wants to speak first. So we have two speaker slips, and if there are any members on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. Our first speaker in person is Brad Moore. What was it? You rather He's fire elected. go first? Is that what you're saying? He's electing to receive. Oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> Chief Hartwick. <laughs> Good to see you. Russell and, and Mr. City Manager. Um, I, I think uh, the questions, uh, Council Member Kasten, that you were um, talking about, I think those are pretty objective answers. Um, some subjectivity when it came to the evaluation of the proposals, but the process itself was fairly objective. Um, if I can maybe uh, kind of bring you up to date on where we are in the process uh, first, um, in October of 2019, the board decided to take an existing contract that was set to expire um, uh, for countywide, an exclusive contract for countywide ambulance services, emergency and non-emergency ambulance services to go to bid. Uh, in October of 2019, they directed the local EMS agency uh, to uh, engage a consultant and then to write an RFP. Uh, that process lasted well over a year uh, with a lot of input, uh, multiple meetings, uh, multiple drafts of an RFP. Uh, and part of that uh, RFP, um, picked a panel, an evaluation panel. When the bid was uh, decided to go, or the service was decided to go to a bid, uh, in essence, to find the, the best service at the best price for, for the countywide, it's a county responsibility to provide the service, um, the county chiefs got together with labor groups within the county and, and just simply um, asked each other, is there an opportunity for us, essentially, to come together um, maybe individually, but let's start together and, and look at doing it ourselves, essentially integrating uh, ambulance transport into what was already an existing first response EMS uh, uh, system, uh, really a set of systems that exist from Carpinteria all the way through Santa Maria. What we found very quickly is that there was uh, more than just uh, an interest or uh, or an opportunity, there, there, there quite frankly was, um, it seemed like good business. Uh, we had already decided at that point that we would um, uh, join together on a dispatch, countywide uh, uh, dispatch, uh, essentially closest uh, resource uh, boundary drop situation. Um, and um, we hired a consultant. Um, we, we got together with uh, the labor groups, uh, the federated labor groups within the county, the, uh, essentially all, all labor groups came together as the county chiefs had and said, um, how do we do it? 
And so we spent the better part of a year and a half designing a system to, again, as, as I say, um, innovate, uh, integrate, um, essentially take revenues that are generated within uh, the county and the jurisdictions that we served and invest them back into the um, uh, back into the county through different programs, uh, programs that existed and quite frankly programs that, that weren't around community paramedic uh, co-response outreach type programs. Um, and then to uh, really capitalize on the clinical care that we had already invested in through our medical um, uh, directors and our nurse administrators throughout the county. That resulted in a bid that was then evaluated by a five-member panel. The five-member panel consisted of three uh, members from out of state and two people from inside the state of California, and in fact, in the county of Santa Barbara. Uh, they evaluated the bids, uh, and uh, they awarded their recommendation to the uh, local EMS agency was to award it to uh, AMR. As was mentioned by uh, Councilmember Kiriako, there was a set of uh, protest uh, processes, essentially. We uh, uh, protested to the procurement officer first, and all laid out, um, by the way, in the RFP, which is posted on the county's website today. Uh, and in fact, I'm really not sharing any information with you today that isn't posted on the county's website. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no closed or protected information. Um, e even the proposals from both the county and AMR are, are on the website. Um, and uh, essentially, the, the recommendation was made to award to AMR. We went through the first uh, part of the, the first uh, appeal was to the procurement officer. Uh, uh, that was uh, denied. The appeal was denied at the, the county procurement officer. And then it went to a protest resolution committee. And we are currently in that process right now, where we are presenting a protest, uh, again, not based, uh, not uh, questioning the judgment of the panel, the five-member panel that was seated by uh, the local EMS agency, but um, the, uh, but instead the actual uh, uh, but what we believe were, um, and again, filed on the website, what we believe were violations in the RFP or the submission of AMR in the RFP. Uh, and we made that presentation roughly three weeks ago, and we were advised, we were expecting a decision on Friday, we were advised on Friday by the county that um, they would uh, exercise an ability to, to extend the deadline, and, and we should expect something by the end of uh, this week. So the basis for the appeal is not on, in terms of the panel's decision-making or that there was an error on their part or bias or anything like that, but that you think that the submission from AMR did not accurately reflect the, the information as you know it. Is that... Uh, yeah, the, the primary basis of the appeal, again, a 99-page appeal, um, and it, it is on the, the county's uh, website uh, today. Um, the basis of the appeal was uh, essentially that they, uh, they listed references um, that if you were to look at, quite frankly, they're not performing well on some of the references that were provided. Um, it was uh, a multi-pronged um, uh, protest. Um, another uh, part of the protest was that the county didn't consider the financial impact or the benefits 
to a publicly run uh, system and then the revenues that were available to be reinvested back in the community. And then quite frankly, there were a, a number of uh, procedural or uh, formatting uh, um, issues that we believe and made the presentation to the protest resolution committee that weren't followed and that quite frankly were violated by our competitor. The RFP, as much as we would have loved to uh, re represent our bid, the RFP was very clear about the protests not um, allowing for uh, questioning the judgment of the panel, if you will. And how long is this contract for? It's a roughly 10-year contract. I think it's a seven-year with uh, three one-year extensions. It's a it's a, it's exclusive. Uh, it's an exclusive contract. Um, and if you take the uh, county allowable. Uh, a billing a rate uh, and you uh, multiply that times the number of calls, the approximate number of calls that are run every year, it's about $144 million annually in billing. Real money. Okay, I think. Uh, I guess while you're, while you're up there, I'll ask you a couple questions. Um, I guess the bottom line here is um, the, um, the, the, the benefit to the community as a whole and the services that you can provide. Um, can you talk briefly about um, your thoughts on, on services um, improvement? Yeah, well, I would say the primary, uh, the primary benefit to the community with a county fire run system is that we're, we're, we're taking advantage of the 37 stations uh, and personnel that are distributed throughout the county. So again, there's there's an existing 911 EMS basic and advanced life support system throughout the county of Santa Barbara. That is roughly seven out of 10 calls that we're gonna go on today will be answering the public's help for a medical emergency. Mm -hmm. So we, there's a substantial investment in both infrastructure and personnel and training. So one of the, the, the largest benefits to, to the community is to truly integrate that system. Um, I've explained it um, as two uh, good services that work well together, but aren't at all integrated. Uh, we're, we're on different radio frequencies, we're on different dispatch systems, we're on, we don't train together, we don't, we don't, we don't, we work well when we arrive on scene, but we're not integrated at all. And so the, the true benefit from an operational standpoint, for, forget the revenue associated with it, is to integrate that first response EMS system with the transport system, which um, would typically um, uh, arrive uh, either before or after, uh, uh, provide some of the same services, and then transport the patient, <laughs> of course, to the hospital. And, and in some cases are actually, the first responders are, are assisting the crews in the back of the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Um, but, but again, then aren't um, taking advantage of the, of the revenue. And of, and of course, the, the revenue is just APs. But, but we're, we're all looking for ways to fund um, programs within uh, the county and our own jurisdictions that, um, that we believe we need. We just don't have the money for it, of course. Um, uh, reinvesting, finding that revenue, using that revenue to reinvest back in the community, we think is important as well. And then um, I'm sure this question may come up or people may are thinking about it. Um, so if you were awarded uh, 
um, the contract? What about the workers that are, are working for ARM? Will they have an opportunity to come and be part of, um, of the fire department? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. The AMR workforce really is is our workforce, and now now we we have quite a quite a difference in the way that we we plan to deploy the the crews. As you as you can imagine, we again taking advantage of our of our facilities, we we look to um, put them more in stations than we than they would necessarily be on street corners, um, and so but. AMR is a large company and they're in business and presumably they, they would be offered a job uh, and an opportunity somewhere else. But our commitment, of course, is to the workforce. And, and um, we believe that this isn't a workforce issue. Uh, and that's not a question that they've provided a good service for a long time, many of them in this community. And they would be really the backbone of, of our, our, our workforce. Councilmember Carriaco, do you have any questions for the chief? I have a question for the chief. Um, you've mentioned reinvestment a couple times. Can you can you give some, forgive the pun, uh, concrete examples of what reinvestment uh, might look like? Because I mean, we have local workers. Whether it ends up being a publicly success, a public bid that's successful or a private bid that's successful, there's local workers that are going to be involved in this one way or another. So, when you talk about reinvestment. Can you be a little bit more specific of, of some tangible things that we might expect to see come coming from that? Yeah, that's and that's a great question, Councilman. I I would I would say that there's um, the first thing we looked at as a group is you have to look at the business plan. Essentially, can 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 you provide the service and in, in, in a in a way that there is revenue? First of all, that you can. That you can there's enough expenditures or enough revenue to, to match expenditures but then is there enough revenue after expenditures that you can reinvest into what what we believe in and the state legislature and, and communities throughout the state are doing today which is using these paramedics um, in in ways that are other than 911 response they're they're essentially licensed healthcare practitioners that are embedded into communities throughout the county. And w one of the community paramedic programs that I was uh, involved in uh, previously, in previous experience, was we would work with the county hospital and for recently discharged um, uh, congestive heart failure patients, there's a high uh, readmission rate for those patients. And so we got together with the county hospital, could, could be any hospital, and said, could we, instead of responding just to that 911 call and, and waiting at the station for that call, could, could we maybe get a list of those people that were discharged and then um, go and visit them and try to educate them so that they wouldn't, they could stay at home and they could, they, they could be a little bit more healthy. What we found in that, just, just as an example, what we found, there was a statistical significance in the amount of readmissions lower readmissions than there were without that same population that wasn't visited by these, again, licensed healthcare practitioners by the state um, that were going um, what we would call post-discharge visits. Again, working with other community partners, there's a, a program we're working on right now with behavioral wellness in the county, a co-response um, team that would kind of fill the gap that isn't covered by the current co-response team with the sheriff and behavioral wellness. It's a program that we, we really liked in San Luis Obispo City that was, uh, that's very successful. 
um, and um, and of course they're busier than than they even have time for. But it, but it really does come down to uh, revenue and. Uh, and then what we're talking about today, just so everyone who's watching is clear, what we're talking about is a resolution. So it's not in any way legally binding. This, If the council were to vote on this today, we're not obligating the county in some way to, um, to work with you folks on anything related to ambulance services and emergency response or even potentially community paramedicine like you're referring to um, in the future, right? This is an expression what we're talking about is ultimately an expression of preference, an expression of interest in a particular outcome, which they can feel free to uh, go along with or ultimately ignore. Is am I basically accurate in that? Well, I think yeah, the way I the way I look at it, and again, I, this is just my analysis, but but short of having somebody on that evaluation panel that was evaluating the bids, um, and and I and I know there were a lot of cities that 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 were wanting to do that. Um, but short of doing that, this this might be one of the the ways that you have input. Again, it, it's a county decision. This is a county process, and and we're working through the process right now. But um, certainly, I wouldn't see it as binding. I, I right. defer to legal counsel on that, but I don't sure. see it as binding. And then uh, one last yeah. question, and I'll probably ask the same question of um, AMR folks if if and when they come up. Um, you know, I, I just lost the question, so never mind. I'll let someone else talk. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I guess first, um, the I assume the, uh, those ideas about the integration of benefits and so on and so forth were elements that were considered by the panel. And so, uh, you know, I'm wondering, well, let me ask you this. I'm trying to wonder, you know, what happened in the decision making, and obviously I haven't looked at the all of that went on. Is there a massive or significant cost of for the fire department? You would have to hire a lot of personnel to do this work, and now and add ambulances and so forth. And so, might it have been that they were kind of uh, scared off at the costs? of the investment, is that what uh, might have been something that was influenced in the decision? Um, actually, I can't, I can't tell you a lot about what they considered or what played into their decision, but I can tell you that financial impact was not one of them. Um, and in fact, we, we were hoping that it would be because we believe that having a financial analysis and analyzing the, the amount of benefit that, that the community might receive on the revenues after expenditures would be important. Um, that was not analyzed. That was a separate process, and it was a simple pass-fail. Yes, we believe that you have the financial wherewithal to do it, um, and uh, it was a it both both companies passed. But that was not something at all that was evaluated by the panel. No, sir. Oh, I would have figured that would be a big deal. Um, so, I mean, I'll just tell you my you know generally speaking, when you set up a panel to independently evaluate some sort of contract or something like that. I'm, I'm reluctant to, you know, second guess it without having knowledge about what a reason why, you know, and just to say, and it's no disrespect to you and the work that you guys do, which I have tremendous respect for. Um, and I think you would do an excellent job. But I, but I, I guess uh, I'm looking for what would we hang our hat on? Why would we 
justify taking this action other than we don't like the outcome of what the panel decided and we wish, you know, we're throwing it out and saying just choose these guys anyway. I mean, how would we explain it? I would refer you to the local EMS agency website where you have both presentations. Um, I've seen both of them. I, I, I guess you would call me biased. Um, but I've seen both of them. I've seen the benefits, as I mentioned, from innovation and integration and financial benefits and strengths of, that the county would offer. Um, I've looked at the clinical um, kind of capability that we've demonstrated. I've, I've looked, I, I, I've, I've reread the integration to include every fire chief and every labor union in the county. So it, this is them arguing for the county fire department to provide the service, to provide them a better service. And so for all those reasons, I would say it, 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 would be, it would be reasonable for you to make the action, but I would refer you back to both of those proposals that are on the website. Well, I mean, I guess where I'm going is that without us saying the panel got it wrong, uh, without second-guessing the panel and the process, what, you know, and us doing it in, uh, you know, our own review of the proposals, what would be the reason that we should say that uh, we think the, the decision or the process was flawed or the outcome was mistaken, other than w we prefer it this way? Um, so I've had an opportunity, um, council member, to, to review your resolution, and in, in, in my mind, um, this isn't um, the, the city of Goleta taking the opportunity to cast um, doubt or stones at any part of the process. It's the city's uh, opportunity to express support for the county fire district, and I, I fully understand your uh, dilemma that, that, that you have. Um, you, you would be um, recommending it against that of a five-member panel seated by the local EMS agency, but I see it as simply the city of Goleta um, tossing their support behind the county fire district as as the county, as as a rightful duty, takes uh, takes all things into consideration. Okay, thank you. Council Mayor Carrasco. I remembered my question, and then we'll see if I remember if I have a, a comment. Uh, so my question was, so... Um, community members. Uh, are there community members who have considered uh, the status quo and looked at what the opportunities would be under a new approach and uh, come out and publicly supported uh, the position of the fire district? Yes, um, the, the County Fire Chiefs Association has actually convened a community advisory group that has, among other things, considered this proposal. This happened to be very timely. Um, uh, to the committee, uh, and I, I would say a very uh, uh, broad uh, representative of the, the, the entire county from Santa Maria to Carpinteria, very strong support um, in general of it, uh, and um, we've, we've, we've received other, um, since this has made the paper or the press and been made public, we've received other support as well. I'm, I would imagine that goes on both sides, but um, I can only speak to the support that we've received. And I, and I could very safely say and confidently say that there is broad community support um, for, for the model that we've proposed. Thank you. And I've just been reflecting on what um, you know, Council Member Kasdan was asking and the, the thrust of it, and I think it's a really good 
a really good inquiry. And I guess for me, in terms of something I'd hang my hat on, uh, not setting aside, but sort of in addition to uh, the piece about supporting our local fire district, it's really philosophical. It's in, in some ways analogous to when we had a philosophical position on whether or not large projects in the city of Goleta should be done through a project labor agreement or through continuing to do things through just whatever's the lowest responsible uh, private bidder. And we didn't necessarily have a, a, a voluminous staff report and a long staff presentation in those, those instances. But what we ultimately had was a philosophical belief that um, to the maximum extent possible, keeping local dollars local in terms of what's left after you pay the employees and where do those profits go. And I think if we, we think about this from the standpoint of the remainder of those resources and how they're invested and reinvested into the community, I, I think philosophically we can be supportive of that and be supportive of our, of our fire district without being critical of a panel of folks at the county that are just doing the best that they can with the information that they had and the process that was created for them. So that would be my best guess at a response to Councilmember Kasdan, but his, his point and his questions were well taken. Any other questions for our chief? Okay, thank you. Okay, now we have Brad Moore. <coughs> Good evening, Council. Uh, thank you, Chief. Uh, my name is Brad Moore. I've been a paramedic here in Santa Barbara County for about 10 years. And I have to say this process with the threat of fire taking over EMS has been the most stressful part of my career. And I'm a medic, that should tell you something. Uh, so I, the reason it's so stressful is because it, it threatens our jobs and our livelihoods. So that brings about a lot of emotion and we're very concerned. So I wanted to be a voice to share that concern. And this process should not threaten us. So looking back, uh, I remember in this process, Fitch and Associates said it was, they were against fire taking over. Public health was against it. The ER doctors are against it. The first panel was against it. Now, you have the EMTs and paramedics serving on ambulances right now all over the county are telling you we are against it. We want what's best for the community. The best thing for the community is to have us out there performing our jobs, not trying to protect them. Do we have any questions? You might not want to leave. We might have some That's questions. Fine. So I, I'm not AMR management. I am just a paramedic here in the county. We are part of a union that is hired by AMR. So I may not be able to answer all questions, but I'm happy to help how I can. Councilmember Kariaka? You know, I, I, I don't want to ask you to take a management position, and I should, I should share that I, I've seen at least some of the folks in the audience from AMR uh, speak at the prior hearing back on May 31st. So I've, I've heard from some of you folks before, at least secondhand. Um, I'll ask the same question I asked the chief. Are, are you aware locally, any local businesses, community organizations uh, that have come out in support of you continuing to maintain uh, the, the contract? So we try to support our community. We do programs in the county, hands-only CPR, and I try to be 
active in my community along with my brothers and sisters out there. Uh, so we just try to, to keep positive community approach. We, all of us are interested in pursuing EMS. We want to pursue the future of EMS. We do not want to be absorbed by another agency. Thank you. Any other questions? No? Okay. All right. Thank you. Do we have any anybody on Zoom? <coughs> we have another speaker in person, actually. Oh, um, okay. We have Mark Ingalls here to speak. Good evening, Mayor Perotti and council members. My name is Mark Ingalls. I'm here tonight to support the request to adopt a resolution expressing the city's desire that the County of Santa Barbara award the Santa Barbara County Fire Department the county's emergency medical services contract to provide ambulance service associated with services by extension to the city of Goleta. I want to applaud uh, council members Cariaco and Reyes Martin for bringing this item to the agenda for council consideration. For nearly 100 years, the Santa Barbara County Fire Department has proven to be an amazing frontline defense protecting our community and county against all disasters that threaten us. Our fire departments don't just protect us against natural disasters, but function as our primary first response for all 911 calls. In fact, fire response to 100% of all 911 medical calls, and they are 99.99% of the time the first on the scene. The Santa Barbara County Fire Department has earned the respect and confidence of Santa Barbara County and Goleta's residents. I believe staff will provide, I believe in the staff the presentation, it will provide compelling reasons, reasoning and facts necessary for the council to support and adopt this proposed resolution as written. <clears throat> I did notice at the end of the staff report that it was noted that there was no fiscal impact with this item. I would beg, beg, beg to differ, excuse me. Should, this, should Santa Barbara County Fire Department prevail and be awarded the county ambulance contract, the county, including the city of Goleta, would fiscally benefit significantly. Millions of dollars annually will be reinvested to enhance our emergency medical services in the county and the city of Goleta and surrounding communities throughout Santa Barbara County with, without one cent of taxpayer dollars being invested. In my book, when you get more and better service for the same money, that equates to a positive fiscal impact. It's important to note that ambulance service is not funded through county's general fund or taxpayers' dollars, uh, but in, instead through user fees and insurance reimbursement. To put in context, unlike the current service provider who is owned by a multinational, multi-billion dollar equity hedge fund, and given the fire department is a public agency and not in the business of generating profits to pay shareholders or dividends, all revenues after expenses would be generated, would be reinvested in our back into our EMS system. I understand the intent of the fiscal impact statement to imply that there's no negative fiscal impact. However, the reality is it really should read significant positive fiscal impact to our community. This is a unique opportunity to place an exclusive EMS county contract in the hands of a not-for-profit, trusted, transparent public service provider, one with an outstanding track record and 100% committed to the EMS and its EMS partners to providing the highest level of EMS service available to our community and citizens. Let our county supervisors know in writing and resolution that the city of Goleta supports awarding the exclusive county ambulance emergency services contract to the city, um, excuse me, to the Santa Barbara County Fire Department. Thank you for the opportunity to speak on this issue to you tonight. Thank you. 
any other speakers? If we have any speakers on the Zoom webinar who wish to speak, please raise your hand and I'll call on you. And I did not see any speakers at this time. <clears throat> we have Brian Fernandez here in person to speak. Mayor Parati, members of the board, uh, thank you for the time and the consideration in this. Um, we'd like to thank you for your, your trust and belief in, in the county and reflect on the, the services that the fire department has provided for the city of Goleta since its incorporation. Um, we're not here to take anybody's jobs. In fact, I, I'm on the record of in a number of meetings explaining that the, the system and the model that we have in place is to give the current employees the first right of refusal for um, positions in this new EMS system. There's been an opportunity in the county to increase services, to integrate services, and to improve services, which has not been done. When I speak for the firefighters, I don't just speak for the Santa Barbara County firefighters. As the fire chief mentioned, we are united throughout the county from Carpinteria all the way up through Santa Maria. I represent all of those groups when I say that from the boots on the ground, this is supported by us because we know services can be better. For any of our firefighters to be on scene for 15 to 30 to 45 minutes waiting for additional resources to show up to take somebody to a hospital, it's unacceptable. And we have an obligation to the people that we serve to not just point out problems, but to provide solutions to those perceived problems. Um, we've united throughout the county, along with the fire chiefs and members of the community to find a solution that we know would better serve our community. And so I would like to applaud the Goleta City Council for acknowledging through resolution the relationship with the county fire department and to focus mainly on our core tenants and principles as a first responder organization in our tradition of providing service and what we stand for as an agency that would reinvest in our community <coughs> and ultimately want to see the best services provided to the citizens of the entire county and specifically to the citizens of Goleta. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. <coughs> okay, back to council for comments or um, to propose um, a motion, entertain a motion. Councilmember Kasten? Yeah, I'll just make a statement first. It's just, you know, I, I guess I just have to say I'm sorry in a way. I, you know, I don't know enough about the nuances of it, of the competition and what happened. And I'm, um, you know, I, I worked in government for a long time. When you have a competitive process, when you have an independent review panel, I'm very uncomfortable saying they're wrong without really knowing the substance of it and even if I do trust the fire department and I do and I'm and I have considerable com confidence you would do a superb job but I also feel very uncomfortable at the idea of being in a position to override that process and or suggest that it's that we just don't like the results that they came up with and therefore we're gonna uh, vote against it or, or suggest it be undone um, so I just wanted to say I, 
you know, I, I'm sorry in a way that I can't uh, I can't support having a uh, a position other than that. It's just I spent too many years uh, advocating for certain processes, advocating for you know a good government kind of thing, and and uh, so just to let you know. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, yeah, I think one of the reasons why this comes off a little unusual, seems a little bit unusual, is because, well, it's, it's a little unusual. And, and the reason why it's unusual is for 30 years, there wasn't a process for Glita to comment on. In the 20 years since we, 21 years since we've been a city, there wasn't a process to comment on. In the nine years when we were just part of the unincorporated Eastern Glita Valley, or Western, depending upon what part of the Glita Valley you were in, there was no process to comment on because there was no competitive bid process. It was just one and done. You, you, had, you had an entity and they delivered the product. And so, you know, in politics we talk a lot about the power of incumbency. I mean, that's 30 years without being challenged. And that creates an incredible advantage for one side when you introduce a second side. And I also have sympathy for the AMR folks because, you know, you can the anxiety and the tension is real. Like you, it's palpable. You can feel it. I felt it through the television screen when I was watching the meeting in May, and people are are concerned about losing their jobs. There uh, there are feelings that there is tension between the different first responders that are out trying to do life saving work. Um, some of them believe that it's actually impacted the quality of care. So these are really serious issues. But when you go from a, a, no, a no process situation to a multiple bidder situation, it's a zero sum game. There's gonna be a winner and there's gonna be a loser. And, and what I've heard today is that um, the public agency folks have a vested interest in trying to ensure that anyone who is impacted who is currently involved in service delivery would have a real tangible opportunity to um, be able to continue in that role um, in a different way. And, you know, I work in human resources and, you know, there's nothing quite like experience. And when you're competing for a job, having a lot of local experience is definitely not just a minimum qualification, it's an incredible qualification. I see a lot of heads nodding out in the audience. So I, I think it's possible to recognize that this was a process that wasn't even possible until now, that this is the first time the county has ever set up a bidding process like this. And I think regardless of whether or not they go forward the way they do or they change course, the county's gonna learn from it, you know, positive and negative lessons. But um, at the end of the day, I have a philosophical belief that local dollars as much as possible should be local, reinvested locally, recycled locally. And when I think about the opportunities and the millions of dollars that over the years, over the lifetime of a contract, could be reinvested locally versus going back to, I think, according to Wikipedia, Colorado. Um, to me, it's, it's not a fair fight. I, I tend to err on the side of letting the local folks have the best possible opportunity to have more of those resources here locally. Um, I think about great companies like, like Marburg that are a local business, have done incredible work. At one point, they were competing with a multinational corporation for trash hauling services. And eventually Marburg, the local business, was able to win the, win the bid. 
that was an incredibly controversial process in this community for about a decade. We used to call it the trash wars. And eventually Marburg won that contract, um, you know, essentially throughout the county, the large parts of the county. And the community has been very well served. And a lot of those local dollars have been reinvested through philanthropy and other things. And I think there's a nexus here. Um, so I'm inclined to support the thing that I introduced. Uh, but I'm, I'm you know, interested to hear from my colleagues. And I just want to say, I don't think there's a, a, a truly 100% right or wrong position here. This is, a, this is really a question of philosophy. It's not about whether or not we doubt or want to cast aspersions about a group of public servants at the county, some of whom I directly worked with uh, that are part of this panel and part of this process. So I'm certainly not questioning anyone's integrity, the consultant that they were going to work with on the appeal and protest um, process. The county board of supervisors decided not to continue contracting with them because they had been part of constructing the process leading up to that standpoint. So the whole thing just kind of got, you know, the technical term is hinky. At a certain point, it just, you know, I, I felt like we were at this point where if we don't weigh in as Galetans, the county's going to finish this process probably very soon, according to the chief, and any further opportunity to weigh in is lost. So. You know, I'm sorry that um, you know, we didn't necessarily know who to address our, our questions to. I recognize that's uh, unusual and not exactly how we always do things here. Um, I thought at the end of the day the juice was worth the squeeze in terms of it was the right thing to do, even if it was a little bit unusual. And at the end of the day, I'll respect whatever decision this board makes. Well, I'm just going to jump in. I know Councilmember Mayor Patim Richards hasn't spoken yet, but I just want to say that I have been following this as well. and. Um, and, and I am pleased that we're talking about it and, and you're able to uh, apply and, um, and, and try and, and get this contract. And um, it just seemed like, I'll just say it, it seemed like the, the stack was set against you from the very beginning. And I don't like that. That really troubles me when that happens. So um, I, I'm, I'm proud to support it. I'm glad you brought it to us. So I just have to say that. Mayor Pertim Richards. Thank you. Um, well, I, I appreciate that, that, that this was brought forward to us uh, to discuss. Uh, you know, I think that the point that, you know, we, we should have a say in, in, in what uh, services are, are being provided to our residents and to our city. And it's unfortunate that, that, that we haven't had that say up until tonight, you know, even to weigh in on it. So I'm glad that it's at least uh, before us here tonight for this. Um, and I have to say, I share concerns of um, Councilmember Kasdan about the process and about, you know, it would have been nice if we had uh, a, more, a, a fuller record to review, to look at, you know, what the applications were, look at the criteria, to more fully study and evaluate it. Um, we don't have all that information today. Um, we have what's before us, but as was also mentioned by the mayor, you know, there's a great deal of public record about this as well. And, and, and so it's not like we're making any decision in a vacuum. And so there certainly is, is a lot of uh, information that's out there about how the process has gone and, and what we've seen. Um, and I think uh, some of the things that are really swaying me at this point, um, given all of that, is that you know, we do have a, a strong existing relationship with the county. Um, and, and, and they have a proven record of serving our community well. And, and, I, and I think, uh, we, you know, I have no doubt that we'd be well served by them. Um, the, there's a high quality of existing service from, um, from the county fire. Um, I, I really appreciate the, 
what was mentioned regarding the integration of the, uh, the uh, existing infrastructure and the emergency infrastructure and integrating that with, uh, with not only with the fire stations, but it, I think you can imagine that it, it, uh, a well-coordinated, integrated system is going to serve the community um, far better than, than having it be disjointed. Um, I really appreciate the idea of reinvestment back into the community. Um, that there are programs that uh, and services that are being discussed, uh, if not hopefully offered at some point, that are really going to provide a higher quality, higher level of service to our residents. And I, I think you know one of the things that has really um, you know struck me, which was mentioned, uh, which is the the philosophy of it. I think just thinking about it philosophically, that you know. Uh, AMR, uh, and I have no uh, doubt, and I don't mean to uh, cast aspersions of, you know, toward anyone that works there. I, I have no doubt that, that, that you're committed, dedicated, hardworking employees uh, that work for, for the, um, AMR. But the bottom line is it's a for-profit company, you know, and I was just looking it up, and, it, you know, in case anyone wondered, it's owned by Kohlberg Kravis Roberts, um, which is a global investment company, you know, worth $2.7 billion, you know. And, you know, the bottom line is that our, our county um, personnel, you know, they're public servants. They're, 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 they work, they're, the, the business that they're in is public safety, uh, is caring for our community, is, uh, is caring for the lives and the people that live here. And, and any company, even if it's made up of really hardworking, dedicated, employees, you know, you're working for a, a company that's bottom line is money and, and making a profit. And I think it's just, it, just thinking about it in those terms for me really seals it that I think I'd be much, uh, I feel I would sleep better at night and, and I'll feel safer in our community knowing that we're being provided, you know, and our emergency uh, services and ambulance services are being provided by, by a, an organization whose public safety is, is our concern. So I think that's where I'm landing on that. Dr. Thank you. I'll keep my, <clears throat> my deliberating comments uh, brief. Um, I think most have shared a lot of the same thoughts I had. And I really do want to appreciate Councilmember Kasdan's uh, comments and uh, concerns. I think those are, are really Im important. Um, to bring up, this is a very complex issue, and as we've heard, it's been years um, uh, of, of, of ongoing um, discussion, and we have a limited amount of time here to talk about it, but as others have mentioned, we've, I think we've all been following this in one way or another. It has been part of the public record. Um, we, of course, are invested in making sure our residents have the best services possible. And I think for me, the bottom line, uh, you know, the, the, the arguments that were the most compelling for me in all of the, you know, information that I have taken in is similar to what uh, Mayor Potem Richards has mentioned. But, you know, we're talking about supporting a not-for-profit entity to provide services to our, our community members. And I do believe that they will provide a better financial accountability and transparency for residents. Um, they are accountable directly to our residents. Um, and as their elected representatives, we can advocate directly with them um, for, for, to ensure that our residents are being well served. 
Um, so for me, it is about you know taking a, a, a position that is, I think, more philosophical about what we support, um, rather than getting into the the weeds about you know the details of the panel and all that. Um, I think it is a public statement of support, um, and I, I would be very supportive of this, of course, since I, I concurred with bringing it forward as well. Um, but I really appreciate this opportunity to have had this discussion, to have heard from both groups and asked questions. Um, I think that I really appreciate having had this opportunity that, as uh, Councilmember Kiriako mentioned, we have not had this opportunity in the past. Thank you. Uh, if it's appropriate, I'd like to make a motion. Uh, go um, right ahead. I'll, I'll move that we adopt resolution number 23 next in line entitled a resolution of the City Council of the City of Goleta, California, expressing the city's desire that the County of Santa Barbara should award the Santa Barbara County Fire Department the county's emergency medical services contract to provide ambulance and associated services to the residents of Santa Barbara County and by extension, the City of Goleta. And I will second. Any more deliberation? Oh, okay, I thought you were wanting to say something. Okay, roll call vote. Councilmember Kiriako? Aye. Councilmember Reyes Martin? Aye. Councilmember Kasdan? No. Councilmember, sorry, Mayor Pro Tempore Richards? Yes. And Mayor Brody? Aye. It passes four to one. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Where are we at? I think that might have been the last item. Council comments. Um, we have um, council comments and standing committee reports. Um, I can do public safety and emergency <laughs> preparedness. You just did. <laughs> well, that was one of them. Uh, the other, the uh, the other one is. Um, that we, we went ahead and, and recommended that we go forward with parking restrictions uh, for Deltopia. Oh, good, good. And also for, um, we're gonna wait and see, I believe, on Halloween, uh, but we've put that in the budget so that we're prepared. And I think that's it. Did I miss anything? Okay, I got the nod of approval. <laughs> Councilmember Reyes Martin, she keeps me honest. Councilmember Kazan? Yeah, uh, so a couple of things. Uh, first. Solid uh, waste? Issues? Were you on that? Yeah. I was, but that wasn't what I was okay. uh, going to talk about. It said about. that you had meetings. So. Oh. I'll think about what we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, what I was going to raise two things. First is uh, with respect to Goleta Valley Historical Society, right now we don't have a representative uh, who goes to their board meetings, but my understanding is they're open to it. And so, and there's a lot of things going on. Night meetings we've talked about most recently, but there's parking with the church. Um, just question of could they be open on Sundays at some point? How are they doing with fundraising, exhibits, and so forth? And so I would uh, ask that the um, city manager uh, and others reach out to see if there's the potential for a um, representative for that commission or that committee. Yeah. And I'll just say that I think that's a really great suggestion. I think it makes a lot of sense. 
Have we ever had, I mean, I know we're not really agendized, but have we had something? Have they ever asked us before? Oh, so this is a first? If I could just ask a question, because I'm not sure if I heard it correctly. Maybe that'll help where, with your going. So I is think you both have a puzzled look on Is it the historic, <laughs> did I hear the, our commission that we recently set up, or the historic society who we have it's, a contract with? So the historical society with which, not the commission. Okay. Not, so in other words, just That's as good. we have somebody who attends uh, for Gersh Park, uh, the community center, and so forth, and, and um, that ad there, and, and uh, as I indicated, I've heard them say they're open to the idea at various points, just it, the logistics haven't caught up to it. So. so we have somebody that agreed, so what the process would be to come back and, yeah. Just, just a comment, just the way the city was early on in our history, the board had council representation, not by accident, but just by community involvement. Councilmember um, Bennett, for example, was was uh, on yeah. their board. Um, Debbie Aceves was on their board. There was there's always been a Margaret Connell was on the board. So there's always been a close connection um, to to them. So we sort of got that without it being formal. And so I, maybe that's why it was never formalized yeah. in the same way as the community center board or Gersh Park or some of the other ones. Okay. And uh, second, I'm looking to. Um, get concurrence on the idea of another committee, and this would be one associated with families, children, and seniors, uh, focusing on social services and community welfare issues that are currently not well managed or currently either not captured by other committees uh, and which there's a workload. Uh, so it would cover various things that have not formally been assigned, internet access, the library expansion and outreach, feeding programs, senior support, potentially childcare, community internet. There's no uh, guarantee on any of these, but I'm just um, suggesting that staff investigate the potential for this for working with um, families, youth, seniors, and the disadvantaged. Yes, and I had offered my concurrence with that, you know, with the understanding that, like, uh, you said there that it would uh, be a, a staff report coming back to us looking at various options around this. Right. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. And as far as the um, solid waste, do you remember? Oh, yeah, I have it here if you okay, want. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I know I had to refresh my memory. Uh, I'll give the report on the solid waste uh, committee meeting. Uh, so we had an update on the zero waste of. Uh, program and, and had some updates. Uh, there was a discussion about the annual uh, trash rate increase um, from our board, uh, which will be coming back to us later. And then, uh, oh, there was an update on an Old Town beautification grant application. And so we heard about that. Uh, and then I'll also report on the, we had two meetings of the grant review funding committee. And in the first meeting, we looked at CDBG recommendations. Um, I think uh, we're still waiting to find out what our uh, final allocation is uh, in CDBG funds, and uh, the way it works is that we had a, a set a minimum of $10,000 per grant, and uh, we're right around, we're expecting somewhere around $40,000, so if we get over 40000 then we'll have four recommendations for grants, and if we get under uh, $40,000, it will be 
three recommendations. And so that will be coming back to us later. And then we also, at our second meeting, discussed uh, the support to other agencies and made some recommendations on that. And we have another meeting tomorrow morning. So <laughs> to continue the discussion. That's what I'll be doing tonight <laughs> is more reading. <laughs> OK, Councilmember Reyes-Martinez. Yeah, I'll report out on the Economic Development um, and Revitalization Standing Committee. We had a wonderful three-hour meeting on Valentine's Day, um, <laughs> which was great. Um, the, it was the, the whole group, uh, the larger group, advisory group, uh, came together, um, and we reviewed progress on the document. We went through um, really the whole thing, went through the assessment themes, um, a lot of really great information that I think most of it we had heard at um, the meeting, our council meeting in December, a lot of those same updates, um, and it was the opportunity for the group to give input. Um, I really appreciate it. It was a very robust discussion with a lot <coughs> of great input uh, from all of the attendees, and I look forward to you know the, the next meeting where we continue to drill down on the document. Great, thank you. Okay, I um, have city attorney report. Do we have anything to report, Ms. Garibaldi? Felt a lot of pressure to have something tonight since <laughs> Robert moved his report up. But I still don't have anything. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, then this meeting is adjourned. Not bad, 826. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>